Yeah, I, it's in, it's in I had a couple of accidents. So a couple of years back, I fell through a staircase on a warrant, and uh, that actually kind of slowed my career down to pretty much a crawl. <laughs> so it How many was actually did you fall. What was that? How many stories did you fall? Uh, eight feet. No stories. Eight oh. feet, but I went through a basement staircase. Oh, she's disconnected my uh, quads from my kneecaps. Good God, man. So that was a little rough. But we're doing good. I'm still alive. I didn't shoot myself, so that's good. Well, good. That is. That is good. And nobody else shot you, right? And I, fell up. I fell up some stairs once. <laughs> a couple of people have, I believe. <laughs> I think we did that uh, the last Leo conference, didn't we? <laughs> oh, my God. Until you got roofied. Yeah, I got roofied. I'd like to point out, I don't know if you realize this. Look at that bad boy. Look at you. Look at that safe. I'm recording right now, so I hope you don't mind people seeing that. Yeah, let me let me put the code word in there. So they go to a whole other room. Yeah, I built a whole room. It's well, it's small. It's uh, seven seven by seven by eight, seven by nine. Um, it's just a small little nugget, but uh, right now. Yeah, I'm inside. There. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, look at that! Talk about from the vault. Very nice. My challenge coins and whatnot. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. It was twofold. Keep things safe. Um, keep them out of reach of. You know, we have a fourteen-year-old son. They get curious sometimes. Though we, he's smart. Um, but the other thing was, I I still play video games at age fifty-five, and so we soundproofed this wall and that wall, and so I can come in here. Yeah, we play together, and I can come in here and be like. When I'm lucky, you get to play with me. I mean, that didn't sound good, did it? <laughs> so my what's wife doesn't like suddenly wake up like. <gasps> we're we're a couple of uh, what's a fifty year old? What's the word for a fifty year old? Not octogenarian. What are we? Uh, that one I don't know. <laughs> Pentagenarians? Is that what it is? I don't know. I Penta five? I don't know. Online, if they find out I'm old, they just call me an old fart. <laughs> <laughs> well, today I am one year older. Today is my birthday. So you guys oh, are really? lucky in that you get to be on the Talking Lead podcast and on my birthday. Congratulations. Happy birthday. So happy birthday to Lefty. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to spend my birthday than uh, recording a show with you two awesome dudes. I appreciate you taking time to be on. So, uh, Sean, I want you to do a little uh, brief intro of yourself. Um, cool. Sean is with Medicine in Bad Places. Uh, as you heard us talking a little bit earlier there, we've had his former partner. I don't think he's with you guys now, but uh, we had Tony on, and uh, Tony was a great dude. And Tony, if you guys remember, he was the guy responsible for getting us the interview with Al Mamprey, uh, the World War II uh, hero from the uh, Band of Brothers. What was their company? Easy Company. Easy company up. If you see that picture right there, I got it on my wall. That is a signed picture that I got from when I met Al. Right up there. So little little piece of history right there. He was definitely a gentleman and sorely missed. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Sean, introduce yourself to the Leadhead Brigade, if you would please. Sure. Well, first, Wait. thank you for having oh, me. I appreciate it. My name's Sean Solar. 
I, I am the owner of Medicine in Bad Places based out of New York. And uh, what we do is we provide tactical as well as civilianized training and consulting um, to first today's first responders and security individuals. Very good. Very good. And also joining us today is becoming a regular on the show because I thought he'd been on more than he had. So I'm trying to make up for lost time. Number two. We've got Tom Kane with Enforce. And uh, Tom is also into shooting and he's got a very extensive medical background as well which is going to fit in great with this show so tom for our new listeners uh do a quick intro of yourself there please sure tom Payne, out of massachusetts uh i'm a nurse a registered nurse by trade trauma nurse er nurse uh, psych nurse and a school nurse for seven years believe it or not oh my that was gosh. that was the that was the best it was great you know um, until you got banned and then I, you say that again? I said until you got banned. Yeah, exactly. Hey. Uh, well, for, for guns, for firearms, for being a fire and token yeah. patriotic yeah, American. Like, well, teachers are cute. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> they can be. Yeah. Uh, once I got out of that, I uh, started mixing firearms and uh, uh, EMS stuff and became a TECC instructor. And then in Massachusetts, we have what's called officer down rescue. So that's live fire. Uh, trauma trauma interventions for police officers. So I got involved in that and started mixing the two. Then I came out with my own civilian version of that, kind of mixing Stop the Bleed and those uh, genres into a more civilian-based. So we have a lot of people you know, carrying firearms that really don't know how to even take care of themselves if and when, you know, or I should say if, uh, if something was to go wrong, either for the person themselves or even for the person that they had to use uh, some sort of force on. Um, so I combined that and came up with my, uh, my own program called BTI basic trauma interventions. Very cool. So both of these backgrounds, as you can see, we've got a theme going here. So our show today is, uh, going to be around basic first aid medical skills and equipment that everyone should be familiar with and know how to use in a nutshell. We'll probably get a little more advanced with these guys because they uh, they have been doing this for decades and it's kind of kind of their shtick. So uh, we've got some lister questions that we will field as well. We'll probably answer a lot of them during the conversation here, uh, but we will hit those toward the end of the show. And um, as always, before we do that, we got to thank the sponsors of the show. So big thanks to Caltech Caltech Weapons. Um, we are not going to be at the Caltech booth this year at NRA. Um, I think I, I think I said that we were going to be, but uh, due to circumstances beyond our control, we would not be at the Caltech booth. But we are in talks with uh, another booth to be hosting the lead quarters. So stay tuned for an announcement on that. Hopefully, coming up in the next episode. Uh, but they are still sponsors of the show. So Caltech Weapons, go check them out. And uh, that new P15 9mm that they've got is just all the craze, I think, that I'm hearing from everybody. Uh, as soon as they get their first shipment in to send out, hopefully I'm going to be getting one of those. And we'll do some in-depth talking with Chad over at Caltech about the new P15. Uh, then, of course, uh, Seal 1 and Dwight Settle was going to be on with us today. He's a former Navy SEAL, and uh, he owns part owner of the company called Seal 1. And they make an awesome CLP. Uh, Tom, did you ever get any of this? I did. 
Okay, you're on the list to get some, so um, it's, you should be getting it pretty soon. And we'll hook you up too, Sean. We'll get you some of this too. This is awesome. CLP cleaning loop protecting, and uh, we give away. I don't think we're going to give away one this episode, but we give one away just about every episode. Oh hell, we might give one away today too. Why not? Uh, and then uh, check them out, seal1.net. Use the discount code LEADHEAD. You're going to get 25% off any of their awesome CLP plus cleaning products and their kits. So go check them out, seal1.net or seal1.com. Used to be .net, it's .com now. Hey, LEADHEADS, White Settle with Seal1. Just here to talk to you and tell you a little bit about our product. Seal One CLP Plus is a bio-based, non-toxic product. It comes in a paste, liquid, aerosol, and pre-saturated bore-specific patches called Seal Skins. They all do the same thing, just different methods of application. The best way to use our product is to start with a clean firearm. There's two reasons why I say that. First, you start with the Seal One CLP Plus by field stripping your firearm and covering the entire firearm inside and out, bore, barrel, everything with the seal one clp plus you'll see how easy it spreads around you want to wait about 15 to 20 minutes then you come back and you want to wipe it all off so you see how easy it is to put on and remove and the second reason we say to use a clean firearm is you'll find that it's not clean we're going to pull out more carbon that's been left behind with whatever product you've been using before okay it takes about three cleanings so i like to say a clean shoot clean shoot, clean shoot, just normal usage before the Seal One CLP Plus has removed whatever product that you were using before and has seasoned the firearm. It's kind of like breaking in a cast iron skillet. And after that first cleaning, you will notice a difference. And with each successive cleaning, you will find that it gets easier and easier to clean. Seal One CLP Plus is a dry lubricant and is designed to work as such you will find that malfunctions are virtually eliminated when used properly because the majority of all malfunctions are caused to carbon buildup. And with the Seal One CLP Plus, the carbon does not build up. Seal One CLP Plus is safe on all metals, plastics, composites, polymers, rubber, wood, and leather. Seal One CLP Plus is a one and done formulation. No other products are required or needed to clean and lubricate and protect your firearm. That's why we say Seal One and Done. Seal One is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. Use the code LEADHEAD for a 25% off discount. Uh, but yeah, so good show, good sponsors. Uh, and then as always, before we do that, and Sean, you're a new guy. You've never been on the show before. Nope. We had this little segment that we called the Trains and Planes. And this is kind of our 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 time to, because we don't talk negative on the show about most things or people. Try to keep it positive. This is kind of our venting segment. So, uh, Gunny, bring that jack wagon train in, and let's take care of some jack wagons, and let's honor some heroes. Hurrah, hey, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week, so brace yourself, baby. So the train has stationed, and we've got some uh, some leadhead uh, brigade heroes we want to honor. We got some jack wagons. So I know what mine my, my jack wagons and leadhead brigade heroes are. I'll start with my guest. Who wants to go first with who your nominations are? 
I don't know. I don't really have too many heroes right now at this point. There's a lot of negative going on, and then you could just add to the list of negativity. But yeah. unfortunately, everything that's going on in the world seems to be upside down and chaotic. So I, I'm at a loss for words with this one. Yeah. So we're at the we're not at the brink of war, but I mean we'll probably stick our our noses in it and like we normally do. But you know Russia and Ukraine, what's going on over there? I think they've already started it. Hadn't hadn't it, didn't it get kicked off? today from yeah from what i've seen uh, pretty much in the middle of last night uh things started kicking off and it's going to probably escalate from there that's the pretty much the trend that i'm hearing on the tv yeah i'd say putin is freaking jack wagon right there man jack wagon of the century asshole he he's pretty he's pretty much a jack wagon but you know to the uh to the russians he's a hero you know it depends on what perspective you're coming from Definitely, but um, what he's doing definitely jack wagoneriness, and uh, he definitely needs to be on the jack wagon train. Well, I have a, I'm a hero. I have the same hero often. It's it's these guys right here, and I think you were you've met them, Hunter Seven. Um, they're they're my heroes. A lot of times, I just saw some articles about some other things that they they work with Black Rifle uh, Coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wrote a check for seventy thousand dollars for our veterans that are suffering from cancer. And uh, I'm, I have the privilege to work with Chelsea, who is in the, the, the driving force, and, and she takes no money, and she just, they write checks to these veterans that are suffering from cancer uh, that were over there overseas doing what they should do and what they were made to do. And so I always like to give Hunter 7 a, a shout out. Yeah. Are your pods yeah. charged up? Uh, yeah. Why? Because okay, you're kind of going in and out. Are you coming through those or are you coming through your computer? We, I should be coming through here. Okay, because you're kind of muffled right now. All right, wait. Let me uh, let me switch over. How's that? Well, it, or you might maybe get it out of your beard. Maybe it's your beard. Because you've got a luxurious <laughs> beard, brother. I love your beard. That's luxury. That's luxury. Right? That is. <laughs> I, I wish I could grow some, uh, a quarter of that hair. <laughs> this isn't actually beard hair. This is chest hair and back hair that I comb over. <laughs> it, it gets from the sides. Let me let me switch to um, regular audio. See, like right now you're coming in good. So, yeah, you know, I would add on the hero section. If we're off of the uh, onto the hero section, uh, a group that we've been doing business with for the last couple of years, Guardian Revival, uh, looks after first responders. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been amazing with us. We've actually sponsored them over the last year and a half for almost everything that they've put forth. But they have a program called Boots and Paws, uh, which awards first responders, uh, dogs, uh, therapy dogs, uh, to ease the pain of the PTSD and or life challenges, I would say. It doesn't have to be dedicated to PTSD. Sure. uh, Of today's military and first responders. The unique part about what they do is that it's not just military only or police only or fire only. It's designated as a first responder um, organization. They are 503, and um, we are very proud to be a part of their family. Actually, this is their uh, logo right here <laughs> I'm oh, drinking from. Nice. So you understand, like, they uh, they go above and beyond for today's first responders, which I will say is uh, something that – to, is near and dear to my heart and everybody that works for us, considering everybody that works in medicine in bad places is a first responder or active or retired um, military. You guys have something coming up with them in the near uh, future here, right? 
Yeah, so this is their first year that they're doing something like this. It's not just us. There's several different companies involved. Um, but pretty much all the companies have the same ethos as far as what they're trying to do for first responders, which is really getting the training out to them. Uh, they dedicated a week in March where they're going to be doing uh, training, not only medical training, but uh, training as far as shooting and counter assault techniques, stuff that uh, law enforcement agencies, especially the smaller ones, don't honestly get a chance to participate with because of the size of their department. Uh, they make that a reality. They also have seven different micro missions within their organization uh, that really focus and hone in on problems with today's first responder community, whether it's a piece of equipment that they're missing, whether it's training and the Boots and Pores program, which is something that I, I'll, I can honestly say that I'm going to be involved in for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, cool. they, they put it together for first responders, which is really a nice thing. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a worthwhile organization. Did you give their website? So uh, it's uh, www.guardianrevival.org. And um, all their information can be found there. And you can actually put a donation up uh, for services. And you can read about all the services that they're involved in. Let me just make sure that that's right. I don't think it. G-U-A-R-D-I-N. I think it's an org. Let me just make sure. They'd kill me if I gave you the wrong one. The benefits of not being live. <laughs> right? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> it is a guardianrevival.org. It is .org. Yep, okay. It is .org. And for our video audience... I'm going to share my screen, and it's right here. Is that the right Perfect. one? Yep. Yes, sir. Very good. I'm trying to move that out of the way there. Uh, so you guys can go there, check out more about the uh, Guardian Revival, definitely. So that's a great hero. I like that, uh, definitely. Yeah. I like uh, Tom, what was the website for yours? Uh, 107 Association, I know, on Instagram, or Foundation, I should say. Let yeah. me look it up here. Uh, Hunter Seven Foundation. Yep. Got it right here. Yep. And it is Hunter Seven spelled out dot org. Yep. And that's the one. Hunter Seven. Yep. And here's their super proud of those uh, men and women uh, working hard to give back. I mean, you like can't go wrong right. with right. They, yeah with any of these organizations. And uh, since Dwight couldn't be on, he wanted to nominate Beyond the Teams. Uh, this is an organization that he works with, and it's beyondtheteams.org, and this is their website. It's a group of former Navy SEALs and like-minded individuals who've teamed up to undertake a new kind of mission. We are challenging ourselves and others to focus outward, looking for opportunities to unite, heal, and give back to our communities we are dedicated to our veterans, their families, uh, and to our greater national well-being. So they've got a fundraiser coming up down in the Keys. And you can see here they're in a kayak where they're going to kayak from there to Miami. <laughs> and I think it's probably like a big thing. So if you got a kayak and you would go join in on that. I love kayaking. I'm a summertime kayaker. 
And uh, I don't do like the rough water stuff, but I like doing the, you know, the smooth silk kayaking kind of stuff. <laughs> so if I if I didn't already have plans, I'd, I'd, I'd try to get down there for that. I would probably fall out of it. <laughs> Are you not a good uh, boatman? Uh, not a boatman. Uh, rescue is one thing, but it's only when it's uh, somebody's holding a line on me. That's yeah. a different story. But <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So to stick to our topic, you know, it would be good to carry some good first aid when you're with Sean in a boat. One hundred percent. Yep, I definitely would. One hundred percent. So my jack one wagon. Kid, I'm going to for Sean. One kid for Sean and one for yourself. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to get into my jack wagon. Uh, I'm going to do my jack wagon first, then I'll do my hero. If I can find it, where'd my jack wagon go? So this is my hero. I'll just do my hero first. Forey J. Smith. You ever, ever watch the uh, TV show Yellowstone? Yeah. So he's one of the ranch hands, and I, I guess he's uh, probably been in a lot of westerns and cowboy stuff throughout the years. Uh, but he refused to get vaccinated uh, and attend some SAG Awards or some kind of Hollywood thing. And I think this video I'm getting ready to click on here, hopefully this is – uh, his thing. I'm gonna play it and see. What if you could get rid of your kitchen? See what happens. Of course, you always get these stupid ads. Hey, I'm Matt from Pila, and I want to introduce you to my friend. Um, at Pila, but I went to his like social medias, and I think they've already, we believe or he's already taken this video down because I couldn't find it on his for the last three actual years, page. Something truly special. Here, I can skip an ad. Hey, I want to apologize to y'all for. And you two can't hear this. Not being at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. I mean, no offense to anyone. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not vaccinated and it's a requirement to be vaccinated to be at the Screen Actors Guild Awards ceremony. You have to be vaccinated with a booster shot and a negative uh, COVID test within 48 hours. And got to wear a K95, 62, whatever kind of mask. And uh, I, I, I'm not vaccinated i will not get vaccinated i haven't been vaccinated since i was a little kid i don't vaccinate my dogs i don't vaccinate my horses he don't vaccinate his dogs don't vaccinate his horses shot. never will I, I never had a flu shot they, never uh, will compromise your immunities and um man I, i'm sorry i sure looking forward to walking down the red carpet my big black American hat and my Justin boots and representing my culture and heritage but I'm not going to be able to do that and uh, I apologize to all y'all out there that are part of my culture and heritage I won't be representing us at the Screen Actors Guild Awards walking down the red carpet but it's no offense to anybody anything it's just my beliefs that uh I don't get, I just don't believe in that stuff. And uh, whatever. <laughs> Thank you all. You all enjoy watching the show anyway. And uh, maybe next year we'll get down on that, get on that red car. Thank you all. God bless. So I know you two couldn't hear that, but. Uh, Actually, I did. Oh, could you hear yeah, it? We heard it. Yep. Oh, something must have happened to my hear that too turn that down yep so um 
the fact that he got on and was apologizing, you know, I thought it was going to be like an apology to uh, cater to these Hollywoodites, but he was apologizing to the people that he represents in his culture. You know, people like like us who, you know, don't believe in the government mandates and and all this. We believe in free will and, um, you know, if you believe in vac- vaccinations, fine. That, that's up to you. But uh, it took some guts, especially for him being in Hollywood and as successful as that show is, um, you know, whether they'll bring him back or whether he's been canceled or not. But. I haven't really heard anything to that effect, so hopefully he will be back. And um, I think he was very well stated in the reasons why he wasn't doing it and why he wasn't going to attend those awards. Uh, so I thought that was very magnanimous of of uh, him to do that. I agree 100%. I think he should stand for what he believes in and without putting any – disparaging remarks towards the other side of the coin whatever whichever way it goes I, I truly believe that he did the right thing he stood behind what he believes in and there's nothing wrong with that uh, unfortunately we've gotten away from that a little bit in society um but i think he did the right thing i, I like it yeah absolutely. i think it's amazing he put aside his own you know he was going to receive some sort of award or something and, and he actually you know, he, he put it on the table that this is way more important to say that I'm not going than it was to give in and and accept that award. So I think that probably had to be a hard balance between, you know, his craft and, and the acknowledgement of his, his skills to be able to say, I, I, I can't go. It's just I can't give in to that. So kudos yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's our there's my hero, the Let Hebrew Gay Hate, Forey J. Smith. And I uh, hope we see him back on the, the Yellowstone. I like that show. So here's my jack wagon. <laughs> and he, he may have been on the jack wagon train before, but it's Stephen King and the tweet that he did recently about Biden and Vladimir Putin. Uh, and he says, Mr. Putin has made a serious miscalculation. He forgot he's no longer dealing with Trump. I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, that statement. Um, well, if you if you look at, if you look up what he's what he's put up since then, I'm sure you'll see he he well, makes a reference of the bully. Completely anti-Trump. Completely anti-Trump. He's one of those bandwagoners who, uh, you know, put their whole heart and soul into trying to ruin his presidency and. Uh, the upheaval of our our flow of our country during those wow. four years that or four yeah four years that Trump was in in office there. So if they would have put just half that effort into getting behind and supporting uh, the you know the things that were going on and the good things that were happening, um, there's no telling where we'd be today. Definitely, probably wouldn't be having this Russian crisis that we're having right now. They call it a crisis. Uh, but on Tuesday, Stephen King was quoted uh, in a tweet saying, Mr. Putin has made a serious miscalculation. He's forgot. Uh, he's no longer dealing with Trump. Uh, it says he's got like 142,000 likes in two days. At first, uh, the tweet read, is cringeworthy to some, mostly on the political right, who urged their belief that Trump was, in fact, stronger than Biden, citing claims that Putin never 
invaded anywhere when Trump was in office. Uh, and then this one guy, Ron Coleman, said, I don't understand your specific kind of stupid, but I do admire your total commitment to it. <laughs> I thought that was a, a good comment, too. But Stephen King's off his rocker anyway. Yeah, he's completely out of his mind. All those drugs that he's done over the years. That's how he came up with those awesome books, you know, and movies. Which I love his books and movies. So, just don't agree with him politically. You know, and that's the great thing about our country is you can still coexist and have different differing beliefs. That's the best part of it. That's that's the part that we keep kind of forgetting a little bit. You can't always have it one way or the other. You know, it's... It's a nice blend if you agree to disagree sometimes. Yeah, well, and sometimes you have to do that, but sometimes you can't. Sometimes you gotta you gotta stand your ground and and say enough is enough. And I think we're gonna start seeing more of that on our side, hopefully. So I'm on Medicine in Bad Places website right now, um, and it's medicineinbadplaces.com. Is that the best way to get to your to your website? Yes. Okay. Yep, that, that's the best way. And then on the social media sites, you'll see us as medicine in bad places. Right, right. Um, so for our video audience, uh, here's their website. Make sure you go check it out. Um, but, yeah, those are my jack wagons. And let me check real quick and make sure that we don't have any listener. Let me stop sharing here. See, I don't see my nudie pics. My nudie birthday pics. <laughs> <laughs> in your birthday suit. People have been sending me. Bill's been wearing my text message out. He's sending me like a, a gif every 10 minutes of <laughs> derogatory birthday things. <laughs> you know how Bill Doe is, don't you, Tom? Bill Doe. Good Bill old no tea. tea baggins. <laughs> Let's see. Jack Wagon Train, Jason. <clears throat> All right, this is from Leadhead Jason, and Jason says, I have to nominate Remington to be the Jack Wagon Train nominee today for bending over the barrel and settling a multi-million dollar lawsuit with parents from the Sandy Hook murderers. I have to put my glasses on here. I told you today was my birthday, so <laughs> my eyes went out. We all know that Remington had nothing to do with the shooting. It was a deranged evil person that decided to do something horrendous to uh, horrendous not marketing. I, don't know, I think you mistyped there. However, by simply uh, settling and handling, handing out millions, Remington has given into anti-gunners and given them the win. Remington is dead to me and should be thrown under the jack wagon train. So, Remington is a multi—I don't know—are they billion dollars? Another multi-million dollar company. And, uh, you know, that's what they are. They're, they're a company, they're a business and they're not really in it for your second amendment rights. They're in it for their, their profit, their, their bottom dollar. And, uh, according to, I guess their accountants and their lawyers, it's cheaper for them to settle than to continue the fight as much as we would, you know, like for them to continue to spend millions and millions of dollars on this, you know, I guess it's just not worth it to them. So... I mean, you got to look at it from both sides, but yeah, I understand your frustration with them, as I'm sure a lot of us are frustrated and sad, but I do understand uh, their business reasoning behind this. Do you guys have anything to add to that? 
You want to chime in on the Remington? You know what we're talking I, about? I, I just think it left the door open for, for other cases. You know, I don't think it's been, I think there's fine line between saying it's set a precedence because it's a little different. I, I think there's a fine definition of that. But it did leave the door open for for other people to do something of the same. Um, well, there's a law that's in place that's supposed to prevent this anyway. Uh, but I guess was it recently uh, changed or overturned because you couldn't sue. Firearm companies were were insulated from this. It's like if somebody gets killed with your gun, then somebody can't sue you because of that. Right. But then um, this yeah, opened up the no. doors for that to happen. So I'm not an attorney. I'm not a lawyer. Um, I should probably get one on here, but uh, maybe we'll <laughs> talk about that uh, one episode. Um, but yeah, I mean the the chem, the uh, the pharmaceutical companies have that. If their drug kills somebody, you can't sue them. You know, just like this vaccine. If when somebody's died from this vaccine, you can't sue. What are those companies that are making it? Pfizer. Visitorum. Moderna. Yeah, if you die, if you die from COVID, Madonna. they're covered. If it's used in the proper setting under the terminology that they use of usage, then they're they're all set. Yeah, and you you can't touch them. You know, same thing should apply to the firearms as well. You know, unless it's a malfunction of the gun itself, you know, a manufacturing defect, then they should they shouldn't be involved in any lawsuits whatsoever. Let's be. Let's take it a little step further. You, 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 you sue a chicken company because you choked on a chicken bone. Because no. you choked your chicken. What? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, yeah. Think about that. You know, I, I I cut my finger off with a with a saw, so I'm going to sue Makita. It's just that ridiculous. If you right. simplify it. It doesn't make sense. It was human error. I cut my finger off. I put my hand on in the wrong place. It's my fault. Just as it is, I can't even remember the, the uh, D-bag's name that did the shooting, nor do I want to mention him. Uh, no, but whoever he was, it was on him. So that is a good jack wagon, and I understand where you're coming from. And uh, I agree. You know, I think they're – they're wimps for bailing out on this and not standing the the ground and protecting our our Second Amendment rights, I guess, and the rights of other gun manufacturers. Um, but again, you know, it, it's their corporate decision. So here is another jack wagon, and this comes from Leadhead Jody Garcia. He sent me this a while back, and he says that Dale Brown is his Jack Wagon nomination for this. And if if you've been on the social media things, this guy, I guess, is infamous for showing self-defense techniques when being attacked with guns and different things like that. And it's just really kooky and, and unrealistic stuff. He's, like, grabbing the barrel of the gun and doing all kinds of kooky stuff. But... Um, here it is. Dale Brand has been going viral on social media showing people how to disarm attackers with guns and knives. There have been lots of viral videos featuring Dale showing his techniques, then showing a video of heaven, which I have to admit, some are quite <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so, I will I will definitely agree with that one. Some of them are very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if the guy's serious or you know, if it's just for strict entertainment or if he's actually serious. 
Uh, but apparently he, he went on the Coley and Noir podcast, you know, everybody's got to get their own podcast now. So, um, and I guess he talked to him about it. I haven't listened to that, nor probably will I, not that I have anything against Coley and Noir. I just, there's other things I'd rather listen to. So, so you guys can check that out, but that's a good nomination also. Um, if they don't have like a disclaimer or something saying this is for entertainment purposes or what, I think they should put that on so that people will know that they're not serious about their, their antics. Um, I think his, I think he's getting his claim to fame too. Cause in a recent UFC fight, uh, corner, he did the corner man for one of the fighters in UFC and it just oh, blew really? him up a little bit more now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. You know, when shit floats to the top, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just, just don't care for that at all. Uh, and then this is from Jason Edgar, and this is one I've got to show. He said, this ad reminded me of Bildo Teabaggins. I had to forward it to you. Ha ha. Great season four kickoff. And he's talking about the uh, Talking Lead AK Corner. And let me share my screen. So can you see that? <laughs> so... so this chick's got one of those ARs that'll launch things out of the end of it. And she's got a big a big purple dildo. <laughs> and this reminded him of Bildo Teabaggins. So I can't yep. think of a more fitting reminder of Bildo. So there you go, Bildo. All the love from the Leadhead Brigade, buddy. <laughs> and I had to do this especially on my birthday with all the shit he's been sending me here today. So there you go. A little payback for Bildo. So that's it. I think that's all the uh, the nominations that we have. Unless you guys thought of anything else, anybody else you want to throw on? Either heroes or okay. Then let's move on and let's get into some first aid and uh, med skills. So we got both your backgrounds. So very knowledgeable in not only the basics, but you guys go beyond that and you get into you know, expert level type stuff. Talk about, I guess the way we should probably kick this off is the way I'm, I'm coming from this is you're going to need medical skills more often than you're going to need defensive handgun skills, which both are fine. And you definitely should, if you're going to own a firearm, you need to get your defensive handgun rifle uh, training courses in. Uh, but you're going to use or need the first aid medical skills more often than, than the firearm skills. So I think it's critical, especially if you're going to carry a firearm, because if you're going to carry a firearm, you intend to do damage to someone or something. I mean, you don't intend to, but, you know, that's the consequence of using it. So you should be able to counteract that when needed, whether – you hurt someone or someone that you love nearby has been hurt by someone. So um, basic, let's start with basic and then we could move our ways and get a little more advanced with, with our talk. So go ahead, Tom. No, I was going to say, I think there's a little bit of a fine line. I think Sean will understand this too. 
just so your listeners know too, first aid to me is 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 a is a small little umbrella, and then trauma also is sort of, and they kind of get intertwined a little bit. I, I understand that they're all first aid, but when I think of first aid, I think of you know I've got a broken finger and I splinted it, and I went to the hospital for mm-hmm. an X-ray, or I've got a laceration, mm-hmm. um, and then I find trauma care tends to be a little bit more severe. So I think there's kind of a line in the sand where first aid kind of ends. And even though it is first aid, you're the first person to bring the aid. Yeah. I think that's where that terminology comes from. But there's that secondary, I, I think of first aid as being Band-Aids and boo-boos. And trauma mm-hmm. is where we start getting into those more intricate tools that we need that yeah. are a little bit more higher end in the in the training level. I don't yeah. know if Sean mirrors that. but Sure, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I look at first aid in a couple of different ways. So I obviously understand the context with the weapons and carrying weapons and being responsible you always want to know what damage a weapon that you're carrying can cause and how to treat that damage but first aid goes from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you put your head on a pillow and you're laying down doing nothing something could happen whether it's a car accident whether you're uh cooking and you cut yourself whether you're working construction you're working on your car Pretty much any day-to-day task that you would perform, you can find yourself in a situation where you either got hurt, um, not on purpose, not with intent. It could be an accident, simply that. Or it could be something that has intent behind it, like somebody is trying to hurt you. Or or you're in a situation where you get hurt because of uh, uh, something that's going on around you. And when we teach first aid, we teach it along the lines of letting uh, people understand that first and foremost, this isn't a, well, because I carry a weapon, I'm going to go to this class. This is a better yourself for everything because just like in CPR, when you teach CPR, uh, and I've taught CPR for two decades, um, usually they turn around and they tell you, you're not realistically going to use this on somebody you don't know because think about who you're surrounded by most of the time friends and family. It's going to be on somebody most likely that you do know. So that's really where we like to take the the mindset when we start talking about first aid and how it relates to us as a person and as a part of a community. Because when you go outside and you're in public space, it could be not your emergency, but somebody else's that you're going to be dealing with. Absolutely. And I think as as our listeners, the mindset of most of our listeners are the sheepdog mentality, you know, and that's the reason why they carry and, um, you know, are, are so supportive of our Second Amendment and our Constitution is, you know, they have this protective mentality and they want to help the community rather than the opposite. So to go along with that mindset, you got to have the proper um, life-saving skills, um to 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 pair with your uh, your firearm skills, and I just kind of wanted all right with that mindset. What are some of the top things that I need to know how to do? And you know, I kind of just want to start off with the basics like CPR, splint making, cleaning and dressing wounds. You know, the Heimlich maneuver, stop the bleeding. You know, that kind of stuff. And then as we're talking about those, then we can get into the more severe cases of those and what you do. Uh, along those lines. Um, but yes, what both of you said is true. You know, first aid, first responder to uh, to the scene of, a, of an accident, 
uh, or, or whatever it may be, uh, these are some things that we hope will help you if you ever encounter such an occurrence. So I think, what do you think of all the basic skills there? The most important one to, to learn would be CPR. So the first for, for me and my recommendation, anybody that wants to better themselves or learn a little bit about first aid, I would definitely look at a CPR class first. And a CPR class is going to teach you how to deal with an adult child and infant um, in a cardiac arrest episode, as well as some type of choking episode where that Heimlich maneuver, which you speak of, would come um, in play. It also is going to teach them about what's hanging in every movie theater across the country, what's in um, restaurants, what's in sporting arenas in hospitals and the visitation areas is an automatic external defibrillator or an EED. And a lot of people are scared of that piece of equipment, but uh, if they take that CPR class, they will get the understanding that that machine is only going to help, not hinder, or give more of a, a percentage of survival if they use it in a timely fashion. Um, what we've seen trending within um, the emergency medical community over the last uh, couple of years, people aren't so fast to do CPR because they're worried about doing mouth to mouth and, and transmission of disease and all of the other liability with that. the liability yeah. um, is really easy to cover. It's, it's called the good Samaritan law. It covers you a hundred percent on that. Um, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, what we've seen is people say they're reluctant to jump in because they don't want an exposure to themselves. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people don't seen, know about that good Samaritan law, you know, and that's something that I did want to cover on this show as, as you know, we do the facts to fight the myth on here sure. as well as one of the myths uh, to dispel for people who are reluctant to do it because, because of that, because of, you know, they're afraid of being sued. If someone, you know, gets hurt or they die for god's sake um you know god forbid if you're trying to save their life but yeah there is a law in place it's called the good samaritan law and i think it's in most states i don't know that it's in every state so check your i believe you're correct with that it's in most states so i would always definitely check if it's something you're concerned about yeah um and, and pretty much the summary of the law and again i am not a legal expert but the summary of the law is if your intent is of to help instead of to hurt and this is a, a, an extraordinary event for this individual that is that needs first aid and you start something that you're indemnified of somebody coming around and saying that you shouldn't have done done what you did yeah, which makes sense because if somebody's having a heart attack or they're choking on something the probability of them dying is is higher than you helping them so you've increased their chances of living just by going and pumping their chest or squeezing their stomach a little bit by attempting to try to save their life. So and go I ahead. Think the key too in, in the Good Samaritan too is, is the last line is the important one is willful or wanton or reckless content, uh, conduct. So I always talk about in my classes that movie, it was with Sandra Bullock and the other lady. She ends up doing a, an emergency tracheotomy and sticking a pen and it was – and then he goes, I'm fine, and he coughs up whatever it is. You know, it's just practice within that 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 skill set and be reasonable in those actions. Uh, you know, you're not going to be cutting 
open somebody's chest, but if you're trying to splint somebody or give CPR or do whatever, if it's if it's reasonable, uh, then you're going to be protected. And I always say in my classes, education equals confidence. You know, like uh, Sean was saying that people are fearful of this AED. Well, yeah, I'd be a little nervous about an AED on the wall if I'd never taken anything. It's intimidating. So you take that CPR class, it softens you up to that experience, and at least that knowledge will give you that confidence, even in a stressful situation, to use that 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 equipment that is is accessible almost everywhere. Yeah. And one of the things that we've seen, uh, again, being educators within the medical community, um, the breathing and the transmission of uh, worrying about transmission of disease, we've taken that away now. We have hands-only CPR. And the class really gives you an understanding of what you're actually doing by not breathing for them, but at least you're doing the compressions, that hands-only approach, which is activating the 911 system and pushing hard and fast is the way they, they term it, um, until a first responder with uh, adequate medical gear gets to that person's side. Uh, so we've seen trends and, and, and advances in the thought process. Now we just got to pro be proactive in getting them out there. It was actually one of the times that I appreciated the simplicity of it. CPR was kind of complicated and it was overwhelming, you know, and people were second guessing. Is it two to one? Is it seven to five? Is it now all you have to do is do compressions and, and do them as long, like you said, hard and fast until somebody gets there. It is intimidating. I've done CPR a lot <laughs> and, and it, it, it is tough, tough work. Uh, but the simplicity of that I th actually is one of the first times I appreciated them narrowing it down to make it less intimidating and more likely that somebody was going to say, I'll do it. I'm right. in. Uh, rather than shying away from that responsibility. So I always like to break it down when, mm -hmm. when I first sta I started EMS back in 1994. And my first CPR class, I started with CPR in high school. And then I elevated myself through it. I found interest in it. On a personal note, my, my father had his first heart attack in front of me when I was a little kid. I was nine years old. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And that kind of spiraled me into this path of doing what I do today. Uh, and I got to tell you, that first CPR class that I took, it is very overwhelming when you first step into it. But now if you look at what the way it's taught now and today's standards, like you said, that's simple, simplifying the rules. We're no longer counting and doing all of this stuff and testing all of it. We really just want to get those compressions onto the chest as soon as possible. And, and taking a class, I mean, we could sit here and talk about it for 30 seconds, but you really don't get the understanding fully if you don't sit through that class and are afforded the opportunity to actually do it on a mannequin. So the instructor yeah. that's certified mm -hmm. to watch you gets you the proper cues of what you're actually doing. Yeah. And let me just say this, and I know our listeners know this, but in case somebody who's never listened to the show before just happened across this, um, we're just giving ideas and thoughts on this show. This is not a replacement for taking a certified class or course. Okay? <laughs> so, Correct. Uh, there's my disclaimer. So, oh, well, Talking Lead said to do this. Uh, no. <laughs> not not going to get me for that. But um, these guys are it's experts, cool. and they do offer classes. So go to their websites. And sign up for the classes and the courses. Um, it's the listener that's half listening and says, I think you put the pen in their neck, right? You know, I'm like, <laughs> that's CPR, right? You put a pen in their neck. That's not what we said. And yeah. for those and CPR. And then you say Sandra Bullock over and over again until they come back to life. 
Sandra, Sandra Bullock, and, or 100 beats per minute. We've got a question about that I'm going to read, so don't, don't go over that just yet. Um, so CPR is, what does it stand for? Your, you know, for us, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. There you go. So that's what CPR stands for. Those who just hear CPR their life, they don't know what it stands for or don't know how to Google. Uh, so how, how do you know or how can you assess a situation and know that that's what you need to, the skill you need for this particular person's predicament? Well, I would say first and foremost to our younger listeners, don't YouTube it while you're watching it happen. Get ready to <laughs> actually understand what you're looking at. Um, that's probably uh, one of the only times you'll hear me joke about something as serious, but uh, it all starts up with the leading um, motions of somebody. You look at their skin color. Um, they're saying they don't feel well. It could be a sudden event where they don't even have a chance to tell you that they don't feel well. And then ultimately what happens now we're talking about a cardiac arrest episode is when they either lower themselves to the ground or fall to the ground. Uh, if they fall, there could be secondary trauma, tertiary trauma to the, to the body from fall. But ultimately you have somebody go unconscious and unresponsive. Uh, we need to understand and recognize that re relatively very quickly to activate that 911 system, which sooner than later, I always try to explain to students, when in doubt, always call. Uh, you can always call them off the scene. You can't call them when, you're ne when they're needed. And that's one of the biggest uh, helpful things somebody can do is if they recognize somebody that doesn't look well, they feel they look ill, that they activate that 911 system right away. Yeah, it's a good tip. Well, well, during during some of the other things we'll talk about, even including tourniquets, is is that uh, people don't put them on soon enough and they wait. And uh, we'll discuss it, and we won't get ahead of things. But you know, it's one of the common mistakes. You you lose valuable valuable time, uh, kind of pondering it. Like uh, Sean said, call nine one one. That's their job anyway. If you weren't there, somebody else was going to call them. So be that that positive first step in in the process and get that bus rolling or tell somebody uh, nearby to call 911 yeah, if, if you're if you're if you're hands on then you 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 have to be uh, yeah. assertive and 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 we talk about Stop that in my instagram live in me and call 911 <laughs> <laughs> pretty yeah. much you want whoever's taking control of that scene uh that person's going to dedicate somebody to call they're going to look they're going to point they're going to make eye contact with that person. These are all cues that are, again, part of that CPR class that people would uh, be looking at in their area to take. And that's how we start this class, really. It's to understand that if somebody does fall victim or ill to a cardiac episode, that the first thing is to activate that 911 system and then yeah. to assess, go on to an assessment of that patient, right. that unconscious uh, person. That's laying on the ground. What do we do? Do we stand over them, or do we start uh, looking at other ways in which we can get help or be helpful to them? Yeah. And and again, I think Tom, you hit it uh, on the head before when you said you standing there and and you just by pushing hard and fast on the chest and simplifying it uh, gives somebody uh, an incentive to tr actually do it without worrying about two to three inches hard and fast checking for 10 seconds and all the other rules of engagement that we've seen over the, over the years in the medical community as instructors. And I think it changed a lot too. Uh, I remember even being a medical person in, 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 and let me tell you, 
what happens behind the scenes is completely different than when you get into an ER, it's different. It's absolutely different. Um, but, but that being said, even as a, an actual professional certified caregiver, there were times that I was, okay, you know, it's, is milk good for you? Is milk bad for you? Is (laughs) is CPR to this, to that? Like it changed and evolved. So like I said, to reiterate, I love that they kind of really, they can't make it any more simpler. No. There, there's no other variation at this point. Pardon that. That's it. If you're going to get involved, that's it. So Don't if you're, you're getting involved, um, you're you're performing the act of the CPR. And is, is this, do they still encourage two-man teams or... Like you were saying before, not necessarily you don't need the breathing aspect of it as long as you're pumping that chest is kind of what the studies have shown recently. Um, so what's better, one-man, two-man teams? So, again, depending on which agency you're going to get certified with, they will give you their specific guidelines. So it's really not uh, – the, the beautiful part about pre-hospital medicine is there's a gray area. And the reason I say it like that is because – you're not locked in stone. It's not a black and white. And, and depending on what agency uh, a listener may go to to get certified, they're going to give them their rules of engagement that their governing boards approved and, and all the way down in the medical community. Red Cross, um, American Red Cross is going to be different than American Heart in some ways. Their language and verbiage is going to be different. Uh, National Safety Council is another one that goes across the country. Uh, between those three alone, you have um three different ways to of instruction that that each agency likes their classes to uphold a lot of similarities please don't get me wrong on that but there are uh certain things uh and nuances i would say that that are held within each business platform or company platform so um one man versus two men as long as the, the way I look at it as dependent on what, what class we're teaching or what agency we're teaching for, I'm going to turn around and tell you whatever is the most beneficial to the patient. It really stops being about you as a provider, and it really comes down to what is being done for the person that's in need. If, if you have somebody, if, if you're like me and have bad knees, I know see, I've done CPR thousands of times. But my knees may not be able to hold out for, you know, the 10 minutes that we're waiting, the nine to 10 minutes waiting for the ambulance. I may not be the best candidate to be on my knees doing uh, compressions. Uh, There may be somebody there that may be able to help and I may be able to do other things. So there there's there's no real uh, definite black and white answer on one man over two men. Uh, It is easier when you have two people that come together and they know what they're doing. But um Again, I don't really see it as a as a black and white question on that, an answer for that. You know, I think also um, I've been on cases where ego gets in the way, and somebody's doing compressions, and you can see that they're not being effective. The person's getting tired. So if you can delegate, you know, it's not that hard to quickly and in a moment's notice to give direction to a bystander because I'd rather have somebody doing better compressions than I'm doing. Maybe they're not the best, but if I'm getting tired, because it is tough work to truly give good compressions, then you delegate authority, you get somebody in there, maybe you take a quick second break, shake those arm out and get back in there. But, uh, you know, there's no room for ego and good compressions can can and do uh, uh, save lives. Yeah. So as you're doing these compressions that you're talking about, um, talk about 
the, um, I guess, the technique, the proper technique that one should use when applying CPR? Well, I mean, when we're starting to talk about technique, one of the biggest things that I've seen uh, is the bending of the elbows and making that shock absorber style where where their arms are, are not locked out at their elbows and they're not engaged fully. So when they push down onto the chest, their arms are actually bending a little bit and that's not allowing the full force of the compression where they would be locked out. That That's one of the biggest things that I've seen. And then the second biggest thing is is going to be landmark placement and and landmark placement really on the sternum you go a little too uh, the sternum is the the bone at center and the chest that holds the ribs together um when you're pushing down on the sternum it, placement of where you're putting your hands can be uh problematic for the uh, patient if you're a little too low you have something called the xiphoid process again i don't want to get too medical and technical sure. but the xiphoid process is something that actually um, can become detrimental to the patient. If you're pushing down on that, you're not really getting a good compression. And then there is the chance of the bone breaking and actually um, hitting uh, vital organs within the body. As well as if you're up too high, you're not going to hit uh, the landmark. You're not going to be compressing the heart. Because really what you're doing in CPR is you're compressing the heart between the backbone and the sternum bone. So this sternum is compressing the heart is in between the back spine. And really what you're doing is you're squeezing it to get that blood to circulate through the body. As the blood circulates, it's going to pick up the oxygen and it's going to deliver it to the vital organs that are the last ones to shut down is going to be your heart and your brain. Yeah, and-, and then that's what, that's what keeps uh, you going uh, the longest because what we're doing is we're supplying um nutrients to the heart and the brain by doing those compressions the body is a beautiful computer it systematically starts shutting itself down and allowing it to uh just preserve the heart and the brain and then as it gets going or it gets through the episode then we can see it back and that's going to be down the road where you might see tom in the emergency room at that point from me in the back of the ambulance point of view i'm not really going to see that come uh full circle uh, there is a, a phenomena that's out there. Uh, it's return of spontaneous pulse, right? Um, and that's something we have seen in the field, but very rarely do we see it where they're, we're going to leave them in a walking and talking uh, state. Yeah. Now talk about the hand position when you're pushing on the chest. How, what, what's the hand position need to be in? What part of the hand are you pushing with? So when we start talking about hand positions, we're going to use the palm of the hand. And again, uh, when when they take a class, they're going to be t- explained that there's adult, child, and infant. Because infant is totally different than uh, the child approach. And the child is just uh, a little different than the adult approach. Adult being two hands uh, with the palm and interlacing of the fingers, interlocking or crossing of the fingers. Um, you're also going to have the uh, a child, if you're not strong enough, uh, they're going to tell you, um, if you are strong enough, rather, you're going to use the heel of one hand. But if you're not strong enough, you can use two hands if you're feeling that you're not going to be able to get that full compression onto the chest. Now, when you start talking about infants, you're talking about using a two-finger technique. Uh, I always like to teach the wrapping the, the two hands around the baby and putting using the thumbs as your compressor. Yep, there you go. And then what we're like going to be doing a remote control. Now, 
Kind of like you're playing a video game, only you're putting your Tom. two thumbs together and you're pushing down in the center of the chest. That's yep. why Tom's so good I don't at think, video games. Not to joke, but there's not a there's not a cheat code. A B A B up down up down <laughs> left right start. I don't think that works, but maybe just maybe there is. Somebody may find a secret formula for that. I don't know. I don't think there is. If there is, I'd like to know it because I probably like to know it as well. <laughs> I've given I've given CPR on little ones, and I've given CPR on every age in between. And uh, it, it, it's never a fun deal. There's no joy in it whatsoever. Uh, I mean, the end result, if you have a positive outcome, is always joyful and worth every bead of sweat and cramp and everything. But um, from somebody, and I'm sure Sean as well, when you've done it a lot of times, um, you remember it, you know. Yeah. There's definitely a psychological component to it. It definitely, definitely, like you said, Tom, it definitely leaves its mark on you. Um, and, and going back, I, I think that as your listeners hear this and, and it's something, just imagine the, the psychological mark that it leaves when you're feeling helpless. And, and that's why I would definitely encourage your listeners to actually take that first step and get that CPR class. Uh, make that weekend because... The statistics show it's usually somebody you know. It's going to be somebody, if not that you know personally, that you're in a family or a group type atmosphere. Yeah. And those actions that they're going to be able to teach you in this during or over the course of the class could mean the difference of that person or uh, living or dying. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be an adult; it could be a child yeah. as well. This is one of those skills that um, goes across every type of situation that you think you may need a uh, first aid or medical skill. So if you're hiking, you're scuba diving, you're skydiving, you're out shooting, you're eating dinner, you know, this could happen anytime, anywhere. So this is, this it's is one that's crucial that, that must, you know, you must know uh, that's going to come in probably the most handy uh, of any of the skills. Now, uh, I don't want to get too much on the CPR, but, Let's get into, you know, we talked about hand position. Uh, you know, there's a certain amount of pressure that they're, they recommend putting on and at a certain rate. Talk about that. Sure. So if we're, if we're talking about rates, I mean, the standardized rate through, through CPR is, is 30 compressions to two uh, respiratory breaths. That's, that's standardized for the most part uh, throughout when we're starting to talk and teach CPR. Um, again, now, if you talk about hands-only CPR, or I believe they call it community uh, CPR, uh, where we're only talking about the hands-only, we're not worried about giving breaths. We're going to worry about uh, exposing the chest, uh, making sure the chest is free from any, uh, any uh, clothing or, or Jewelry. getting it down yeah. so we're not pushing on the clothing. Um, you know, if you have a heavy jacket in winter and you're pushing down on the jacket without exposing... Um, and that's something we should have actually maybe brought in before when we started talking about the compressions. Yeah. But again, paraphrasing as it is, when we clear that chest and we start pushing hard and fast, the terminology is there for a reason. And the reason it's simplified is because if I turn around and tell you to push down an inch and a half to two inches on an adult uh, chest, there's no tape fairy measure. Uh, tape fairy me measure is not going to come out uh, from the sky and start measuring your compression. Really what it is, is it's, it's hard and fast and you need to be able to understand that you have to push down to actually feel the compression on the, 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 the sternum. So you're actually making that squeeze. And then what that, what that 
that feeling that you're feeling of it moving is you actually squeezing the heart between, like I said, the back and the sternum. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the hardest concept, I believe, for students that have never taken a medical class to really grasp. I, I think the American Heart uh, Association did very well by putting the hard and fast terminology in there. They do still explain it in the inch and a half to two inches in the range and depth. And, and they have depth monitors. They've even gone so far as to put depth monitors on their mannequins so people understand what it feels like to actually hit those yeah. uh, depths. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that's a really, uh, that's again, really part of the class uh, and, and selling on taking the, that class. Some of the uh, techniques that people do to help them with the pace is think of a song that's 100 beats per minute. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, staying alive is the is the old uh, adage. I mean, I don't know. There's uh, another I, one bites the dust. That's right. That's, that's <laughs> one of our questions from Sack Archer. When training CPR class, do you use the song "Another One Bites the Dust" or "Staying Alive to Keep Rhythm" uh, for your right. chest compression? Your I answer will get you alive. judged. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably say that staying alive uh, will uh, less comical. Uh, I like uh, "Rock Your Body" by Justin Timberlake. Personally, yeah, that's yeah. I, you know, if you Google <laughs> what songs you can do to the "Staying Alive" uh, to the uh, beat of CPR, you'll a get a hundred songs, and it goes across genres. Hey, so Leonard Skinner, "Sweet Home Alabama's on there. You know, come yeah. on, you could even so do it to Leonard Skinner. Uh, <laughs> you can definitely find something that you're into when you're practicing. Uh, no doubt. A little DMX party up. Will Smith. Beyonce. <laughs> you can do a little Beyonce if you want to. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds. So just find your favorite song to that and just uh, keep that in mind when you're, you're doing your compressions. Uh, real quick, let's touch on the breathe aspect of it because we haven't really talked uh, much about that part of it. Sure. So if you are doing compressions, you want to open up the airway first. The biggest thing is uh, making sure that there's no uh, injury to the to the neck. Um, you want to assess the patient when you get down on their level. They're on the floor. You want to assess their airway, make sure that uh, they didn't choke on something prior or that there's something obstructing the airway. Um, and then what we want to do is move the head into a neutral position. Uh, it's often referred to as a sniffing position, but it's the chin is chin goes up a little bit, uh, sniffing position where that'll open up the airway. You open up the mouth, you pinch off the nose on the adult, and then you push you push air in via mouth to mouth. Or again, depending on the area in which they're getting this class or what equipment's available, there's a pocket face mask that you can put over their mouth. There's a uh, almost like a saran wrap type covering with a one way. Uh, cloth uh, protector mm -hmm. that you can push through. That's a keychain mask. Yeah, most people uh, aren't going to have this on their person though when they're when they're per performing this. Well, I mean, the chances of them having it uh, anytime they any of my students take a CPR class with us, we give them uh, one of those keychain masks. And, and the reason we do is just that uh, they don't have to put it on their keys, but they can leave it in their car or they can put it in their purse. And again, it's just one one more thing that's there. On, on another note, um, any AED uh, that's hung in any location will have one of these starter first aid kits that um, will have that type of gear in it already because it goes hand in hand with CPR and the introduction of that AED. 
Um, because after a first round, after the first two minutes of CPR, we want to get that AED onto the body to assess, to make sure uh, that there's something there or not there. And if there is something there that we can try to address it. And that's where the machine really takes over. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it takes over the uh, understanding of what's going on. And it's going to assess the patient um, on an electrical level. And the most important part about that is once you put it on, don't disrupt the body, uh, leave the body surface, uh, don't hands off the body surface. So it can do its job and analyze what's going on. So I think we spent enough, unless there's anything else you want to do about the breathing part of it. Let's move on from CPR to our next. Just, uh, a, you know, one key reminder with breathing is, uh, slow. Uh, nice, slow, deep breath in and then out. And that's, that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to get as much air as possible. That's room air right into the body to circulate the oxygen that's in the room air that you're, you're giving all you're putting into the body. So deep breath in for you. And then a, a nice slow exhale out into their mouth, whether it's with the device or a mouth to mouth. Uh, personally, it's been done in my years of experience. We have done mouth to mouth, especially on kids. Um, especially, you know, when, when you have a mother hand you their, uh, lifeless child and, um, you think that they need air because they're blue, you're, you're going to take that, uh, and, and run with it. You're not going to worry about the consequences until afterwards. Make sure their airway isn't obstructed before you perform the, the mouth. A hundred percent. Again, that, that going back to it, you want to also always, again, assessing that airway, you want to make sure, especially with children, uh, foreign body uh, airway obstruction is the number one, I believe, uh, uh, followed only by a medical, really, for children for, for going into cardiac arrest. The yeah, unless a child has a pre-existing, usually it's an airway obstruction that led to a heart attack or a failure of the, the vascular system based on lack of oxygen. If it's like, I don't know what the exact number is, but commonly check the airway first because nine out of ten times. And if it's me during Thanksgiving... Look for a gravy spoon <laughs> down my throat. That actually happened to me. Sure. That actually, I'm going to turn you over and look for loose change. <laughs> dude, that actually happened to me one Thanksgiving when I was like, I don't know, eight or something. I swallowed the gravy spoon. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Were you hungry? <laughs> dude, that gravy was so good. My grandma's gravy, shut your mouth. Stuff fantastic. It's fantastic. So, all right, let's move on. So what would you say – the number two most important skill is to learn for for me i feel because anything short of an actual trauma is manageable and not life-threatening uh in in my in my philosophy so cpr absolutely life-threatening immediate like instant uh for me though the next thing is your your and i hope sean agrees with me is is your tourniquets your blood stuff because again a small laceration on the finger is not going to kill you um you can handle that with a bad t-shirt and a you know and some duct tape but i think for so me stop level the wise, bleeding is the next is what you're saying stop the bleeding is your next bleeding, yeah. trauma stuff uh, whether it's uh uh chest seals or things of that nature to, for for my my second level in my brain is anything short of that is not life threatening and is 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 hugs and and boo boos, um, but uh, hemorrhaging after heart attack is going to be your next device that's going to lead to you 
leaving this great green earth. <laughs> and and I, I, I agree with Tom 100% on that. Uh, Stop the Bleed has come full circle. Um, it, it's, a, it's synonymous with CPR at this point. We, we've done, here in the East Coast, we've done several school districts where we've taught librarians and teachers, school teachers, the common basic components of a Stop the Bleed class, which, by the way, uh, there's a class online that you can take for Stop the Bleed to just get you the information. Um, but what I always feel is important is the hands-on aspect of it. Uh, stopping the bleed in, in the context in which we're speaking of here is you have uh, a lot of show, a lot of blood is coming out of the body uh, for lack of uh, most simplistic terms. And, and the reason I say it like that is because going off on tangents and words that people don't understand is kind of counterproductive on this. Um, when there's blood flowing out of the body, the, our job is to try to keep it in there at all costs. And really what, what that program does, the Stop the Bleed program, it's going to show you how uh, two things. One, commercially available devices that are on the market, uh, like we've, uh, we're going to be speaking of tourniquets as one example. Um, tourniquets can help and make your job and life a lot easier down the road. Uh, if you have one, right, we have, I have a couple here to show the audience. Um, it'll make your life a lot easier. But here's the thing. Uh, in the same breath that I say that, you don't need a tourniquet to stop a bleed. Uh, you can form and fashion one of the things that you have laying around you at that time. And again, even so much as a child, uh, a child that has an immediate uh, life threat of a bleed, uh, that can be stopped with pressure above the bleeding site. If, if it's a small enough arm, again, you know, a child's uh, bicep, you can reach in there and actually uh, find their artery and slow the bleed until you get a device or a makeshift device in place to try to keep the blood into the body. The, the main reason why we're keeping blood in the body, guys, also is um, that's what gives us life. That's what circulates that oxygen. Uh, if you don't have enough blood in the body, uh, in its most simplistic way possible to explain it, uh, you're not going to be able to, uh, your body, I should say, is not going to be able to compensate with uh, maintaining itself and, and, and it's, and, and it's staying alive. So, so that's really, uh, again, stop the bleed is the second port, uh, portion where we want to go with after CPR for, for yeah. people that are looking to get some medical knowledge on the CPR belt. gets the blood flowing again. <laughs> now, I think, I, let me ask you this. Let me ask you real quick. So let's sure. say you come across a, uh, a person, a person who's bleeding out, they've passed out and you need to do CPR, do you do you um, stop the bleeding first and then do CPR? Or do you do CPR and then stop so the bleeding? If you're doing really good CPR, they're not gonna they're not gonna make it if you didn't stop that bleed. The whole thing of it is you need the blood in the in the body to circulate the oxygen. If you don't have blood in the body, uh, you're not gonna be able to survive any incident because you need it to uh, provide the oxygen to the organs that your body needs yeah so so it used to be uh, wasn't it abc but then we figured out if you had b and you dealt with a first it was kind of out of order it would be like a, in a simplest form if you had a hole in your boat and you were bailing the water the bailing of the water would be representative cpr if you don't fix if you don't fix that hole first you're just adding 
and you're still and you're going just, to the bottom. It's, yeah. it's going to still go. Yeah, you're going to go to Davy yeah. Jones's locker. And of course, so, if you've got if you got more than one person on site that can help, you know, then you can do you know multitask. But if you're just one person and you're at the scene, stop the bleeding and then do the CPR. Yes, is what you recommend. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. It's funny when you when you and I think I, I, as instructors and whatnot, there is this crazy algorithm that happens in our brains that we're so in, it, it's so part of us that. But we when I start talking about it to others, I realize how much longer that algorithm is for somebody that's new at this. You know, it's like they're thinking. I'm thinking things instantly. I'm I'm seeing how much blood is on the ground. That's going to well, sure. tell me. Yeah. How the prioritization of things, um, you're assessing, you're assessing I, yeah, as you're doing stuff. Yeah. But it happens for us. I think those of us that yeah. practice this often, it's like it's anything. Quick. It's like, it's like a musician who plays the guitar or the piano or writes music or, you know, something they do day in and day out, but somebody who's just starting, you know, there's that curve. So, and we're starting off with ask, the curve. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying this, this show is to, to start at the curve, you know, start at the bottom and then work our way up. As, as we get, you know, more sure. advanced. So trying to keep I, it I think something person. that needs to be emphasized is a lot of people go, well, why do I need these classes? I've got, uh, I've got a EMS in my town. And, and I think that Sean again, will, will, will nod his head. I, it takes time to get there. <laughs> and I tell people it takes less than two minutes for a good bleed out to happen. But the average EMS uh, time to get there sometimes is the, I don't know what the national average is, but I would give it 10 minutes. Yeah. So the national it's between nine and 12 minutes. And, and okay. what we're really not, that's the lore of averages taking hold. Uh, what we've seen out here, we have an 80 to 88% volunteer ratio out in Suffolk County, New York. Um, don't get me wrong volunteers are the backbone of the medical community they've been here since i've been alive for for as long as i've been that's where i got my a lot of my training from uh but it still takes time because the professional plumber the professional doctor the professional nurse the carpenter the people that are volunteering their time uh monday through friday from you know nine to five they're not they're not at the ambulance house they're at their profession so it doesn't matter if they're a doctor that works in an ER, they're not going to be riding that ambulance. So it does take yeah. time to get people to come together to get that ambulance out the door yeah. in and, a volunteer and agency. This is and, the, if you, and this is the reason why you need to learn these skills. Is, right. Is, that, was my, that was my point. Is same yeah. thing, same mindset of self-defense. You know, the police will be there minutes after, you know, the crime is, has happened. They're just there to to report a crime scene, but same thing, same philosophy, but you're, you're, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be an EMT to be able to learn this stuff. It's, it's to keep somebody functioning and alive until the professionals can get there also. In some cases it's not even alive, but at least it's viable to maybe turn that around with some of the devices, medicines, medicines that they have. You know, I always say that the the closer you get to the hospital, the higher acuity, you know, you get basic care when you're really far from a hospital and the the closer you get, the better stuff that you get as as you get closer. And by having these skills is going to get that person in that bubble. Depending on what town you're in. 
Wow. Or time of day, really. It comes down to time of day as well. I mean, Midtown Manhattan, you're a you're a stone's throw away from an emergency room. But how long does it take you to travel one block during rush hour traffic in Midtown Manhattan? I've done that commute in an emergency setting, and I can honestly turn around and tell you um, there is no real answer. Sometimes it could take 10 minutes to go one city block. And we've seen this where some first responders have even resorted to getting out of their vehicle and running towards um, the incident. And, and again, there's really no, di- no direct correlation of exact time to exact sure. patient care. Um, what I tell my students is uh, something that's been said in many of first aid classes, um, and my, my instructors tell them the same thing. The first person to put hands on the injury or the injured is the person that's going to directly affect the uh, positive outcome if there is one to be had. Uh, you can't save everybody, so you have to know going into it that um, it's not your fault if, if, if there's nothing that can be done. But at the same point in time, if you're the first person on scene and between you and somebody else is 10 minutes, there's a huge um, follow-through that, that, that's being sure. done in those 10 minutes. Now, earlier I was talking about you know, CPR or fix, you know, fix the hole. Isn't there a mnemonic device that kind of that people can use to is it the march mnemonic device that kind of order of operation is like massive hemorrhage airway respiration circulation and hypothermia head so march really brings it pulls everything together um the nice part about the march algorithm uh is it systematically breaks it down and i believe tom said it earlier when, when we first started teaching cpr um way back when uh it used to be airway breathing circulation uh that uh, that algorithm has now flipped and we call it circulation airway breathing because if you don't have enough uh blood in the system to circulate the oxygen you don't really have to worry about an open airway or breathing for them yeah it, it comes down to um you know uh that's the end of it uh what march does is it simplifies the whole team or singular approach to first aid and and it starts off with that m being for that massive hemorrhage we're going to look for bleeds and plug those holes i believe is what you said right um we're going to look for those bleeds and plug those holes and try to uh stop the bleeding at the site before we move on to doing anything else which would be going into the airway, the respira- respirations, and, and so on and so forth. Um, the important part, and, and to mention to this, and um, I don't know, Tom, maybe you'll agree with me on this, is as we're stopping the bleeding from occurring, uh, the body is going through something. So the M in March is just as important as the last letter in it, which is going to be head injuries and hypothermia is what we refer to in the, in the H world. It almost makes it uh, a, a, an infinite circle because what, what we're doing there is keeping the body in a stable environment, meaning the temperature, keeping the body warm, allows it to do great things. Um, and keeping the blood in the body is, all, is equally as important as the first step to the last step. Every step is equally as important. And, and, and that's really uh, the summary of what we're talking about here today. Uh, you start learning how to do CPR and, and you learn how to use an AED that's hanging on the wall. You take a stop the bleed class and understand the dynamic of stopping that bleed with 
a tourniquet or making a tourniquet out of something, um, staying away from certain pitfalls, like trying to use a leather belt as a tourniquet is a, is a pretty much one of those pitfalls, right? Um, we'll get into that. I, I don't want to jump too much, but sure. there's from A to Z, when you start talking about the bleeding control aspect of it, you have uh, direct pressure alone will stop any bleeding eventually. Usually they say 10 minutes, but a hemostatic agent, uh, which is something that uh, your listeners may know as um, Quick Clot or, or any of the other bleed stop products that are out there, those products will help you stop bleeding at the site up to 10 times faster. You need some type of training with that. Um, but by doing that and then following March, like you had mentioned, from every letter is equally being important as the one before it, that gives you the best chance of survival in any incident. Um, and again, it doesn't have to be an act of terrorism or shooting or, or anything else. You could have somebody on the side of the road changing a tire and, and they could slice their arm open with the jack when they're pulling the, the tire out of the car. Uh, that's an arterial bleed if it hits the artery. It's the same as if a gun shot a bullet through the arm and it hit the artery. Um, yeah, the injury is not specific, I feel. It's uh, because the end result is the same. Hemorrhaging is hemorrhaging. An artery has been involved. Uh, I com- I always say to my students, I mention PEMDIS. The, the, it is, it's the math term. It's parentheses, da da because it keeps you in check and it puts you in order. But at the same time, when March is happening, if you're following that algorithm, yes, there is an order, but you are also aware of other things. It's, it, it is in order, but happening at the same time. So you have somebody bleeding, but you're also worried about hypothermia because blood keeps energy and heat. And so it, it's all kind of, yes, there is a specific order, but at the same time, you sort of have to have a heads up and be looking two or three steps ahead when you're on M as you're going down, down, down the road. So it's kind of a fun algorithm that keeps you in check, but it can bounce back and forth. You can go ahead a little bit, come back to M or A or R, you know what I'm saying? So, so you'd mentioned some ways to stop the bleeding. Um, and how, how do you identify when you come up upon a, 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 an accident and somebody's hemorrhaging, whether it's arterial or not arterial, uh, should I use a tourniquet? Should I go to the quick clot? Should I go to what's a what's a way that people can identify? And we'll we'll get into kits too as to what people should be sure. carrying with them. Uh, but go go with. I that. think I think again that whole that algorithm we go through. I instantly look at just how a person is presenting. You know, you're going to skin color has a lot to do with it. Uh, How much blood is on the ground? Now, that's going to be a little difficult because gravel, uh, blood and gravel compared to blood on a linoleum floor, the same amount is going to look huge on a linoleum floor compared to in the gravel. Um, But an arterial breed, the the, the color of the blood is going to look a little bit different if you can if you have enough light to see that. it's the speed of that blood coming out is going to be different than uh, a venous bleed, which is going to be a little bit slower though. I've come across a venous bleed in a patient that had varicose veins on a blood thinner. And uh, it was just as what is a venous, what is a venous bleed? 
Uh, Venus, from your just your basic veins, uh, doesn't have a lot of pressure behind it. It's returning blood to get back to the system, to get re-oxygenated, get that energy, the sugars, and the energy the body so needs. So vein, but vein, Venus. Veins. Okay, I was thinking. Venus, veins, the arterial. Plan, the planet. Um, yep, yep. So... Um, so those are like just just looking at a person, you can just see. Uh, uh, but when in doubt, I, I tell people in my classes, if you think there's enough blood on the ground and and put a tourniquet on, just do it. So this this goes back to that CPR uh, where do I do CPR? Or do I not do CPR? Right. And and Tom hit it on the head perfectly when, when he said that, you know, he he got he's getting he's giving you examples of different uh, things that would bleed right not just an artery. One of the things that we found to simplify this, especially for the teachers when we went into the school district, uh, we found that the athletic department right the phys ed department was really into it, but um, the biology teacher or the English teacher really didn't want to learn about this stuff. Uh, the way we bring it those two groups of people together in the same room is very simple. We keep it simple. If you look at somebody and you see them injured and you see that they're bleeding, um, if you're impressed by it, meaning, oh my God, holy, right? And fill in your adjective there. Um, those require immediate action. If, like you said, you cut yourself, you know, you cut yourself with a knife and you can use duct tape and a, t and a dirty t-shirt to, hold it together for a bit, um, that's not really impressive, but everybody's impression is gonna be different, right? Um, what we recommend because of the scenarios in which we are gonna put ourselves in hypothetically would be when in doubt, we wanna stop the bleed with whatever we can and, and up to the highest point. Uh, tourniquets are one example of how the thought process has changed. Uh, when I first started in EMS in 94, uh, we were told that a tourniquet would yield negative results and they're going to lose their limb. And, and there's a lot, if you go online and you get some uh, keyboard quarterbacks, yeah. they can yeah. recite certain things to you that they've read or they pull up in moment's notice uh, on any web browser. But the realistic approach to it is if it's done right with uh, and you're trained to the proper technique, um, you can make the difference between somebody living and dying. And it doesn't mean that they're automatically losing their extremity because you placed a tourniquet. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest questions we have in these classes is they were told to never use a tourniquet because if I use a tourniquet on little Johnny, um, he's going to lose his leg. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be responsible yeah. for that. And that's one of the myths that we're uh, we're going to bust. And yeah, segueing into the myths. Yeah, yeah and, I, and that's I, fine. I have told people nobody is, for the most part, nobody has lost a limb that wasn't going to come off anyway by the use of a tourniquet. Yeah. Um, that, that's not where it's at. As a matter of fact, there's a number out there, and I think it's three to 5,000 people in the Vietnam War would be alive today if just a simple tourniquet right. was placed that these poor men and women died for something that wasn't life-threatening right. with intervention. Because so, anything could be life-threatening. Um, but go ahead, sir. No, no. So the, what you're referencing is the, the status. It's 2,500 uh, servicemen and women 
could have been alive from the Vietnam era due to the fact of had they had a tourniquet placed on uh, either their arm or their leg. So upper extremity or lower extremity, uh, that could have actually uh, been beneficial to them living and surviving. We've seen this throughout the conflicts that we've had recently within the last 10 years. Uh, most of the studies that we get of use of tourniquet, use of treatment, even the treatment of for the stop the bleed comes directly out of the military uh, since 2017. Uh, the military agencies uh, through SOMA and, and, and the Me Special Medical Advisory Committee, uh, they put together all of this stuff and they kind of give us an understanding of what we're looking at. Uh, for civilians, for people that are listening that are not medically trained, the idea is if there is blood coming out of the body, we want to stop it at all costs. We want to do that. If you do use a tourniquet, you want to make sure you uh, use a couple of rules of engagement to apply a makeshift tourniquet as well as any commercial tourniquet. And the, your rules of thumb are going to be, again, for the untrained person, and, and I say it with respect to everyone. I don't mean to any disrespect to anybody. But if you're not trained to do something, the best way to do it is the sim most simplest way to do it, right? Um, the high and tight method seems to work very well with minimally trained first responders. What I mean by that is law enforcement, uh, maybe some fire departments that don't cross train their firefighters. Um, they have a little bit of medical training. We, we apply the tourniquet high and tight. And the reason is because if there's secondary or tertiary injury to that limb, that we don't see, or it is low light, no light situation consideration that we would actually miss. If we put a tourniquet, the recommended three to four inches above the injury where it's cut, if for some reason, say they got injured in their wrist, you put it on the center of their uh, forearm and it blows out their elbow, um, you're still bleeding at the elbow site, you didn't really do anything. So that high and tight method is the way we would go. And this is the way I, I like to explain it to uh, anybody that's taken a class with us. High and tight method works very well at high and tight as possible where the arm comes off the body. And, and what that does is it takes out the guesswork and it allows you to move through the event of actually placing the tourniquet or making a tourniquet. I think back to the CPR thing, when you make it too complicated, people start to second guess. If I say high and tight, I, I start off my, my trauma classes, I have the class say high and tight. And that just gets into their brain and their mindset. I don't say four inches. I don't say my four inches is different than your four inches, sure. let's be honest. And if you're if you're second guessing that, that's time lost. That is blood that is lost. Just make it simple, stupid. And 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 again, it goes back with that CPR thing that we've simplified it. Um so that the basic person, the, the lay person, through education, which equals confidence, is going to throw that on quickly, properly, with, with what yeah. I would say is good, good success. Let's do this. Right. Um, since we've, we've been talking about tourniquets, let's go ahead and let's, let's dispel some myths, facts to fight the myths concerning tourniquets. And you mentioned the, you know, the, the biggest myth there, uh, Sean, was that if you use a tourniquet, they're going to lose that limb. And, right. And so, we went we went through that. I think you explained it well. That's not the case. Um, but you do need proper training on how to use a tourniquet. So correct. don't just go out there willy-nilly and think that you can use a tourniquet. Perfect example of, of tourniquet. There's so many different tourniquets on the market today. First and foremost, I'm going to be very crystal clear with this one. Please, 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 please 
to your viewers, if there's one thing that you take out of this, please do not buy your medical gear off of Amazon. Uh, and, and first and foremost, the reason I want you to, and, and Tom's holding it up right there, um, I believe the number is somewhere staggering in the 80 to 90% of the medical gear that's sold on Amazon Hold that up is again. fake. Now, the term fake, um, when I see the term fake, it looks real. Uh, again, it looks very similar to what I'm holding right here. And this is a uh, cat tourniquet from North American Rescue. It looks very similar. Okay. Uh, he's got both right there. So you take a look there. If you buy one on Amazon and it, it didn't cost you, or it could even cost you $30 on Amazon, you think that you bought the right one. And uh, lo and behold, when you go to use it, it's not going to function the, the way a real uh, cat tourniquet would function. And how would you know um, just by looking at it? Are you not going to know until you actually use it? or? So, well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a couple of different uh, there's a couple of different ways you can tell on a tourniquet, and that that'll take a probably about twenty to thirty minutes to explain. It comes down to the stitching I'll on level. the tourniquet itself, um, the back end of the tourniquet. You can't go by the numbering or the lettering on it because they've duped that in the past. Tom's particular one with the question mark doesn't have any writing on it, so that's a telltale that it's a fake. But even some of the fake ones. The newer fake ones have the writing on it, so the best way send numbers on them. Yeah, the best way to go about uh, making sure your your gear is real, or if you're uh, um, you're looking to purchase gear, is buy it through a, a representative that works with the company, or go to the company directly. Sure, Cat, for instance, is North American Rescue. Uh, they are the ones that make that tourniquet. Uh, or go to a recommended reseller off of their site. If you look at North American Rescue, rats you'll tourniquet? see you you'll see medicine in bad places. Uh, we sell those tourniquets, so we sell and are a distributor for them. Rats from I don't know who the distributor is for the rats tourniquet, and I saw you held it up before. I've had the uh, inventor on the show. The rats yeah, tourniquet. You know, uh, I, I had I had the pleasure of meeting him. Uh, great tourniquet. Again, it just comes down to who's teaching the, the individual yeah. on how I've to heard use it. Good and bad on it, on the rats tourniquet. So here's, here's, here's my take on it. And, and the reason I say that is because I, I'm very open to a lot of new gear and technology and equipment. Mm -hmm. I don't think the rats tourniquet is for somebody that um, doesn't have a medical background. Uh, or they're not putting hands on that device every single day. Mm -hmm. And the and the reason I say that is because um, they don't have the wherewithal to put it on proper under stress and duress. Yeah. Whereas, it, like a cat tourniquet, they are going to put it on. There's only one way it's going to go on. Even if they spin it the opposite way, it's, it's still going to go on one way. And the end result is going to be that you're going to stop the bleed. You're going to spin that rod, the windlass, until the blood stops. Yeah. The rats tourniquet, you have a couple of issues. You have to make sure that the wraps are tight and concentrical, uh, which means that they're stacked up against each other and extremely tight. Um, they, you have to make sure that um, when you tuck it, when you, when you actually uh, dead end it, so to say, that it's done properly. Because if you go to move a patient, if it's not, it's going to come undone, and then you have a reperfusion at the site of, uh, or a re And I've heard that you're not supposed to use – do not use them on – uh, children or animals. So uh, again, uh, these 
which in particular. One? Which the which rats, the over? rats in, in particular, is what I'm talking about. So if you look at the and if you hold it, I mean, I don't. You're frozen, but so I can't see. Am I frozen? Uh, I'm lefty's frozen. frozen. Yeah. No. Um, if Skype. you. That's okay. If you take a look at that little aluminum or metal uh, holder, that is the circumference. You have to be able to wrap uh, circumferentially, and that's yeah. the piece. That's the smallest. Well, I think uh, what it is is you can't get it tight enough for right. For so the you can't get limbs. it any smaller than that metal. Yeah. In other words, the the so here's the cat, for instance. And hopefully, I'm not frozen. No, you're but, not frozen. You're not. Okay, you're good. So if you look. That's where you can bring your cat to. Yeah. So there's your there's your end result where you bring your cat to. And, and again, there's other ones on the market too. So Tac Med Solutions makes what's called a soft T wide. This is their one of their newest. Okay. This this tourniquet is good as well. It has a couple of advancements in technology. Show it up. Uh, Show where, it. Hold it up there. So this is a soft T wide. This has a buckle system. Uh, so you can buckle it into itself. Obviously, it's stored, but again, it's got a rod. It's metal. It has a clip and a triangle holder to hold it down. And I'll show you guys that what that looks like right there. And then this tourniquet is again these two tourniquets that I just spoke of uh, are two of the three approved by the committee for T Triple C. Uh, the last one that's approved is made by Safeguard Medical, and that's a TNT tourniquet. Um, and that tourniquet, again, is is just as equal to. You have one over there? I do. Perfect. Um, Hold yours so, up, Tom, when you get it. Yeah. We'll so I'm trying to decide while. whether this one, while he's doing that, if this one's fake or not. If this is a fake one or not. So how would I be able to tell? So the first thing you'd look Am at I is still on frozen? the back. Does it, have, does it have writing on the back of it? Uh, riding on the back of it, no. On the back plate, no. So it's fake. We don't have to go any further than that. There, that that's a quick way. Okay, that's that's good to know. So yep, that's a that's that's a fake uh, cat tourniquet. And what kind there's of no writing? writing on the back of it? There's no numbers. There's no uh, trade numbers on it. It's it's a fake. Tourniquet. And I have no idea where I got this. Uh, I was at some, you know, swag that people ha hand out uh, at sure. events and shows. So sure. Well, the, no here's idea. the difference in, in, in cost, and that tourniquet that Tom's holding right there—that's the other, the third approved tourniquet that the committee just recently approved. I believe maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah, this uh, one was new to the market too. It's not been in a. It's it's been only in the last couple years. Yeah, and, and I like all three of them. They work equally. They have some advantages to each one of them that makes it easier. For a first responder to to put a, a tourniquet on, for civilians and for first aid kits, when we supply them and we do corporate work with agencies, we always uh, kind of go with the cat for now. Yeah. And yeah. the reason we go with the cat is because there's a lot of there's a lot of simplicity to it, and, and it goes back to that keeping it simple concept. Yeah. Um, the cat tourniquet keeps it as simple as it comes. And even our IFACs are, yeah. are have them. Let me hit, and that, that's another thing I want to talk about is when you go online and you look at these med kits, um, unless it's from a, a like you said a reputable company. If you're buying your stuff, none of them have tourniquets in them. They're, they don't come with. Well, tourniquets. that's the gimmick. So that's the gimmick. Uh, what they'll wind up doing is they'll give you a what's called a triangle bandage. 
Um, and again, please don't get me wrong. I, when I say gimmick, I don't mean it in a negative light, but that's their, that's their way of getting something out to somebody uh, in the lowest possible um, price point. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to spend the $70, $80 on one of those kits, you might as well just put a couple more dollars towards getting a real kit. Um, one of the things that we, like we sell our own, uh, first off, IFAC stands for individual first aid kit, uh, I F A K. So, so, so your listeners know, yeah. um, one of the things that we wanted to do for you and, and again, this is fitting cause it's your birthday, right? Um, <laughs> it's my birthday. It's my birthday. It, uh, that's it. I think that's so, one of those 100 beat per minute songs too from 50 cent. Well, uh, not knowing it's your birthday and just for the sheer fact that you <laughs> took the time to bring this topic up to your audience. And I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I put a 20% code out on our website for anybody that's listening. So it's uh, leatherhead 20. We'll get them 20% off and they can order a first aid kit if they want it or gear. Is it, uh, is it leatherhead or leadhead? Oh, what did I say? Leather lead. <laughs> you're not that, the first that's a different website. <laughs> you're not the first one that's done that. So, uh, yeah. so. I'm curious though, if you do the wrong song, like the one that Marilyn Monroe sang, Happy birthday, <laughs> Mr. President. Then you'd be dead. So yeah, no, no. Don't use I, that happy birthday. Song. I like that. I yeah. had uh, I had the IT guy actually set it up uh, yesterday for you guys. Awesome, so it's open. Man. Thank you. It'll remain open. Um, I'm not going to shut it down. So if anybody that needs first aid gear, uh, they can go through us and they can actually uh, use that uh, Leadhead 20. We'll get them 20% of their order off their order for anything in our store. That's awesome, man. Thank you. So they go to your website, medicineandbadplaces.com and, uh, you go through their menu and where do I go? Our offering? Uh, shop. It'll go to shop. shop. There it is. Okay. Shop. Yep. And I'm showing, this is for our video, uh, listener. So 20% off anything on here? Anything on here, anything on the website. So we, we have the IFAC kit listed point. up there. And that's our basic and most uh, sought-after kit that we sell. Uh, it has all the components, kit components that are in there um, for uh, stopping the bleed. It, it comes with the hemostatic agent, which we haven't talked of yet. Yeah. I had Tom, I gave one at a, uh, at a recent show last year. I gave him one of them and, and a pouch as well. Very nice. But it's vacuum sealed. It has chest seals. It has pretty much all the kit componentry that you would want in a basic IFAC. As I, and I'm going through it on the website. Here's the quick clot. Uh, I guess that's a list of everything that's in there. You got a cat tourniquet. Yep. You got a, I got to put my stinking glasses on again. A hyphen vented chest seal, twin seal. You got a four inch flat responder, ETD, quick clot bleeding control dressing. A, uh, Nasopharyngeal airway kit with lube, 20AF. Yep. Bear claw. I love bear claws. That's my favorite little <laughs> truck stop. Not dessert. the one you're thinking of. Those are your gloves. <laughs> That's the nurdle. Yeah, the nurdle gloves there, large. Uh, there's the airway yep. thingy. There's the vent. Uh, Again, there's the bear claw. We, yeah, we've partnered. Those are the nitrile gloves. We partnered with um, uh, North American Rescue for that pack in particular. And that seems to be our best seller. We also partnered with TACMED Solutions on certain things, as well as a couple of other vendors. But this one seems to be our, our tried and true for corporate. Very nice. And so Leadhead, you can go that, to their website, use the code Leadhead, uh, and you'll get 20% off any of their stuff there. Uh, but yep. specifically for their their IFAC kit there, that's very nice. 
Leadhead 20. Leadhead so 20. 20. There it is. Yep. Leadhead 20. Yep. You get 20% off. And I've got one of your shirts right here. I got that from. Uh, I saw that. I saw that. I, thank, you for, the, thank you. Got the big. Uh, skull. Yep. Smoky, smoky skull. Yeah. Yeah. We really just, nice. um, I like it. we, I believe it's on, I believe it's online too. Uh, we have a couple of new redos with 511. And uh, we work with 511 and we also work with Nine Line Apparel to do uh, all of our stuff. Very nice. Very nice. I like it. All right. Um, so just real quick, because I want to get to listener questions also. Um, sure. So we talked about tourniquets. I think people generally get the idea. There's other myths associated with it, but I'm not going to get into those. Um, such as it's got to feel comfortable, you know, if it's if it's done right, so, it's not going to feel comfortable. It's going to hurt like a mofo. Here's here, here's the here's a really quick summary of that, uh, right? So they hurt when they're applied correctly. Um, you never once you apply it, you never take it off. Okay, uh, the, and we're going to leave it at that. We're not going to open up discussions on that. You apply it, you don't take it off. Um, you want to make sure that you make mention of it when you hand off the patient to somebody. So they know that it's actually there. Um, so you have placed a tourniquet or attempted to place a tourniquet. That's very important. And you know, when you, it's very important to explain to the, explain that to them. And then, uh, once again, make sure the gear that you're using, if you are using it, uh, if it, especially if it's yours, make sure that it's real. Um, no Amazon to buy your medical gear. This is one time where, the, the two-day delivery window doesn't apply to being beneficial to you at all. Could actually be the opposite. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Very good. Um, so cleaning, dressing a wound, uh, the Heimlich maneuver, treating shock. We, talk, you know, we talked about stop the bleeding, treating hypothermia, treating burns. You know, that's another... Uh, especially in ac auto accidents and things like that. Um, what, so, what kind of tips do you have for that? When we start talking about treating burns, first thing you want to do, and, and it sounds silly when you say it, but re realistically it is what it is. You want to stop the burning process. from. Yeah, remove anything that's either on fire or is still hot or insulating Smoking. that thermal, you know, because clothing can hold in that thermal burning. So you want to get that off that person, you know, I mean, a nice nylon jacket turns into basically napalm when it's melting and sticking to the, to and, the body. And this so. is where some kit, you know, handy kit like shears would come in handy to remove that, that clothing. So, well, you would have shears. Shears are always a good uh, option, but again, uh, any type of clothing that is, those are good. <laughs> any type of clothing that, uh, any type of clothing that you have on has seams, right? So you want to start ripping at the seams. That's the weakest point of any clothing that you would have, especially first responders if they're the ones that are injured because a lot of their, a lot of our uniforms, and I recently retired, but a lot of all of my uniforms uh, are ripstop. So the uniform's not going to rip other than at the seam points unless you have shears. a pair of uh, scissors or shears. To they're cut. not going to be like Magic Mike, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, with a little bit of strength and adrenaline put into that. So <laughs> you definitely want to definitely want to think about that. Stopping the burning process is the key. Um, there's always been, again, with all of these 
components. And, and I don't know if you remember uh, before when I said medicine's very gray at this point. It's not a black and white thing. It's uh, it's a gray point. And the gray point of it is some people will say wet the injury. Some people will say dry, sterile. I don't know how many people out there that's listening has something readily available that's dry, sterile. So I like to say stop the burning and keep it open to air until that first responder gets there that has the gear. Um, the layperson, can, a layperson civilian can buy all of this stuff, but all of this stuff comes at a cost. There's expirations on these things. Um, maintenance, it's not just something you throw in a drawer and you don't touch. So if you were to purchase some type of burn gel, for instance, to minimize burning. It expires. It expires. Yeah. Uh, even so much so is the IFAC kits. A lot of times, and, and we've seen this, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a necessary evil to have an expiration date to make sure that the rubber and all the other stuff holds its uh, form and function for so long. Um, five years is pretty much like the max on any type of a first aid gear you're going to buy to look for a turnover. Yeah. Yeah, uh, plastic or rubber actually vulcanizes even in a pristine environment. Uh, it's just time is is one of the, the the worst killers. Not only that, UV rays and and anything like that. But um, which brings up a point. Uh, I see a lot of people when I do classes, their stuff is still in the packaging. There's certain things you want to get out of that packaging because time is money or time is, is of the right. essence when you have blood loss. Uh, I see, you know, I'll, I'll say, show me your kit and everything will still be in its original wrapper. And, you know, now granted, anything that's sterile should stay in those wrappers. But some of those stuff, you don't want to be uh, under stress trying to, to, to open certain things up. We, I was we gonna, refer- uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Got no, it. I was going to say, no, make your point because it has to do with what I'm talking about. Uh, no, it goes, that's Go well, Tom. what we say. What we say to a lot of people is the blood, sweat, tears, and beers are always going to get in the way of opening those packages. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say, Tom? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but what I was also going to say about burn victims is one of the biggest things about somebody. You have to remember there's, there's a fine line about all this, 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 the, you know, medicines and chemicals and all that. You're not going to say you're not going to some of that stuff isn't necessary because somebody with a bad enough burn is going to go to an emergency room. They're going to be get cared for. So don't I ask people not to get too wrapped up about like the big picture. Deal with the comfort of the person at that point. Just make sure they're safe. Move them to somewhere safe. Uh, burn people deal with hypothermia, hypothermia very quickly. They're going to, they're going to lose heat because of the vascular system. All our fluids are going to rush out of our system. So they're going to be cold. And so again, you can put gel and all those things doesn't make a lick of difference in the outcome if they're freezing and they're dying now because they're hypothermic, meaning they are, they're losing their body heat, which is important. So uh, again, the gels are great. All these little doodads are great, but the bottom line is you can do some very good care with very minimal. Like I leave the house with, with this and this and I, I, and, and Sean's like, "Uh uh-huh. I can make a chest seal out of this. I can do a lot with this. And what is it when you're saying Every, this for our listening audience? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This is a quick clot. Yeah. It's a hemostatic agent, um, which means it's a, it's a, it's a gauze that helps clotting in the blood. 
And again, we want to keep everything in the system. But my point is we can do a lot of fain dangle stuff, but the bottom line is we treat the most important thing. And if it's that severe, there will be care later. So don't get wrapped around on all, you know, because you get guys that walk around with a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what what would be, I guess, the the basic or the minimal that somebody would need to carry, you know, that wants to take on this responsibility uh, in their IFAC, in their personal care kit, whether it's on their person, in their vehicle, at their home, their place of work. I mean, it's going to depend on where you're at, probably on what you recommend. So let's start off on your person and then work our way up. So I believe in the system where you go small and then you have additional things as you get, let's say, from the heat of the moment to further away, I honestly, every day, all day, I carry a hemostatic agent and a tourniquet. Sometimes even two, depending on my clothing. But or as Sean knows, or we, where you're going to be, if you know you're going to be somewhere that might require. You know, um. No. No. I'm going to be honest. I don't mean to argue with you. My system is the same no matter, no matter where what? I go. Okay. I can do. I can do for. The basic important things, which is blood loss and maybe a chest wound, I can do everything with just this because I can't be weighted down with band-aids and medicine and all that. Yeah. This, this is my standard, just like I carry a gun and one extra magazine and a pocket knife, not for fighting for picking shit out of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't carry anything. And and I do carry a firearm, and I do carry a knife, and I do carry that extra ammunition. But here's here's the thing, and and I'm I self-profess. So people that do sit through my classes, I'm very one thing that you'll that people take away from me, or that I've been told that they take away from my classes. I'm very direct and straightforward. Um, if you're bleeding to death, and I'm next to you, I know I can stop that bleed. Uh, that's also coming from over 27 years of medical training and experience. You're a human med so, kit. So, well, I, I've, I've done kit. it. I, I've, right. I've done it. So I understand that. Being the, the New York City Police Department for 21 years, prior to that, uh, FD, uh, not FDNY, but a hospital-based uh, EMS in the city. Right. Uh, prior to that, I was on, uh, I was on uh, New York Task Force 1, a rescue specialist, med specialist. So I have... Yeah. All but not these. our lay listeners aren't going to be that superheroish. Right. So, what would you recommend that they carry? So, what I recommend is whatever they're comfortable carrying and where their training takes them. If somebody listens to this podcast today and and they take out of this, hey, I should go take a CPR class. Then, what I would say for them to carry would be a pocket face mask. Now, if they turn around and they say, I'm going to take that stop the bleed class. Because I, I heard it on this podcast and, and they made up some good points. Then I'm going to say, you know what? Why don't you invest in a, one of those smaller IFAC kits uh, where you have a tourniquet, you have that hemostatic agent. The kit that you showed before online, right? And, and Tom made mention of this. This is a hemostatic agent. It's, it's one of many on the market. Here's another one from Combat Medical. There's, there's a couple. Okay. Oh, how's that? Around your mouth or your chin area. Which one? (laughs) 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 Good. No, yeah, that's good. Yeah. um, 
these kit these packs they have a hemostatic agent in them it's a cloth and and what i'll do here is i'll open it just so people can see what's in it all right so this is your this is embedded and impregnated with the hemostatic agent but here's the thing most people will throw this away this turns into a chest seal because if you have somebody that is shot in the chest where you're breathing where your lungs would be and you need a chest seal this is not going to allow air to enter and exit and just by putting it over that hole buys them a little bit more time and here's your chest seal so now buying two pieces of equipment this i think Honestly, I want to say retails maybe forty-eight dollars. I know I can't believe you just ripped that open. It broke my heart. <laughs> That's okay. You know why? Because if one person gets, no, that, I know, I gets know. to I, understand. And, I and saw the met, value in that. You see, you see me. Uh, you've seen me at shows, and, and I do it all the time for people because they have the questions. But uh, the quick clot, and then one of these. Um, that's a really good starting investment if they take a stop the bleed class. But if they don't take a class, I'm going to say that they're wasting their money because if they're under stress and duress, um, they're probably not going to be able to perform anything if they haven't been exposed to it yet. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's really what we're up against in, in training first responders or civilians is putting them in the, in the task of actually doing something. Um, at a moment's notice, okay. utilizing Let's that do more this. algorithm. I um, mentioned in the beginning that there's first aid and there's trauma and know the difference and know that a cut on a finger is not, you don't need it. You cut your finger, you wrap it up in your t-shirt. I mean, it's as simple as that, but you don't have to roll around with a backpack full of medical equipment. I, I'm, I'm guessing if Sean and I were involved in something and we were almost had just our skivvies on, we would end up with a tourniquet a sling there's many things that we know just with knowledge so the tools come not with just the tools themselves but the knowledge of understanding their 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 the mechanics behind it yeah. we could get away with a lot more um could you ha could you hammer a nail in with a rock absolutely a hammer makes it a little easier well what the class does is it gives you the knowledge of what that that piece of kit is doing and then therefore the more knowledgeable you are about that just like sean showed i can improvise with a piece of something that may not be standard kit so i could take that that packaging and i could use that as a, a stop the bleed in my stop the bleed process or you know well, chest not a stop the bleed not stop the bleed but chest chest seal to chest stop seal. A, a, a yep yeah I think if you understand the fundamentals, you can look around your environment and see that there's a lot of things available. But if to you had to use that for a stop the bleed, you could wrap that on a wound and then, you know, you can put what's called a pressure bandage on it. And yeah, again, you can they sell use it as a pressure band. But I'm just yeah. just saying, the more knowledge you have, the more you're going to be able to improvise on your limited materials that you may have Absolutely. when you walk upon a thing. So I want to do this, and we're we're running time. I want to get to the listener questions. But I want to ask, put you through some scenarios, and I want each of you to answer how you would approach it, how you would handle it, if if it would be different. So, I'm out uh, snowmobiling. You know, it's uh, January, and I'm out snowmobiling, and I'm you know miles away from anything else, and I come upon a guy who's crashed his his uh, snowmobile, 
And I, I obviously can see through his clothes. He's got a bone sticking out of his his arm. Yeah. So obviously he's got a broken bone. So I'm approaching this guy. He's unconscious. What do you do? Is he breathing? When I come up to well, him, I don't is know. He breathing? I don't know. I'm just I'm passing. Well, I look by. down first. I'm looking down. Am I seeing smoke coming out of his mouth, his nose, and his mouth? Anything? You tell me. You're you're assessing the situation. So that's what you do first. So talk about how you would. Okay. So coming up on any situation, is the scene safe? Is the vehicle safe? Is it going to cause any more damage to him or you if you approach? First and foremost, as you're walking for it, try to get somebody to call for help or start the call process yourself. Get on the phone right away. That's first and foremost. When you get up to him, if it is safe, you start looking. Is he breathing? Is his face up or is it in the snow? If it is up, Let's make sure his airway is open. And if he's breathing, you said he was unconscious. So if he's not breathing, then we have to start looking and exposing and going right to CPR. If he's breathing and we see the bone vividly sticking out, like you said, a vivid picture of it sticking out of his coat, um, is there pooling of blood within that sleeve? Not on the ground because it's going to be in, contained into the, into the coat itself. So we're going to actually have to do a little in detective work to see if he's bleeding. If he's bleeding, we're going to stop the bleed, meaning we're going to have to make a tourniquet or use a tourniquet that we have in our kit to stop that bleed into that extremity. We're going to go high and tight because I don't have scissors with me or whatever the reason to see for secondary tertiary injury. So I'm going to go as high and tight as possible. And it, hopefully that will allow me to shut blood flow to the whole extremity if it was bleeding that bad. While I'm waiting for first responders to come, I want to try to keep them as warm as possible with anything that I can build up. Again, believe it or not, snow is actually a good insulator. So we can actually use our, um, if we had some type of training, to actually make a little uh, ditch or a hole to actually keep heat in to try to keep his body as close to normal temperature as possible. The key to remembering with hypothermia is very simple. Maintaining the normal body temperature that we have right now is all the body needs to be able to continuously try to fix itself. Simplest terms. That's all you need to worry about. As the colder we get, the harder it is for the body to fix things. One of the biggest things that it has a problem with is clotting blood, which is something that, again, they would get in this class. But this is where we're at. And we wait for the reserves to get there to help us out. That's what I would do. Um, Tom, I don't know if you have anything different. Nope. Nope. You're going to leave that leg just the way it is. Get it to a position of comfort. You're not putting it back into place. Uh, compound fractures. He's not going to be walking on it. Yeah. So, you know, take some of that snow. His um, arm. It's an arm. No, it's not arm, a leg. arm or whatever, but <laughs> I'm saying position of comfort, you know, leave it. If, if he likes to holding it right here, so be it, you know, leave it alone. You're not going to, again, it's the prioritization of, am I really going to fix that arm right now? Mm. If it's bleeding, that I can fix. Know your limits, know the tools that you have, and use those properly. And and if the guy wants to hold it up like this, if he's conscious, so be it. So there's nothing I would do differently there. All right. Nothing. Next scenario, I'm on a beach. I'm out in uh, uh, the Bahamas somewhere. I'm on a nice beach vacation, me and, me and my, my girl and a couple of buddies. Tom, you're there, and Bill's there, and – we're all we're all sitting around having some some coronas and Bill's out in the ocean. 
he's got to go take a pee. You know, that's where everybody does. They go to the ocean to pee. Uh, and uh, we notice that as he's coming back toward us, he falls uh, and goes face first into the sand. What What do you do? I leave them right there and let people park their bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Just put beach dwell sign next to it. Listen, and, and, and Sean and I are thinking, like, if it's that immediate, it's in a medical uh, emergency. It, it's not it's it's something chemistry. It's diabetes. It's stroke. It's heart attack. That's where my brain. So I'm going to give you a little more, a little more. So there's a lot of jellyfish out in this area. Well, I'm not going to pee on him. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm getting at. So he's been stung by some sort of a, a venomous creature. Okay, he's been out in the he ocean. Really do that. He doesn't save him from the – it's just a pain thing. No. I mean, you get him out of the water. You make sure his airway is clear, that he's breathing on his own. Um, again, you have to you have to try to figure out, is it, is it an outside effector on him? Is it a poisonous snake or jellyfish or whatever? He's been envenomated. He's been envenomated. Well, there's not, there's, I mean, in that instance, you do not have the tools to, 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 if the venom is something that's Do you suck it out? Do you suck out the poison? No. Like a snake bite would, do you suck out the poison? Is that even then? No, I still wouldn't be so quick to uh, try to extract it with a sucking it out. Uh, That's like uh, one of those things where, again, I, I think you're doing more harm than good. Uh, you're Why not going to you be able to get poison it back into your own mouth because you're getting the poison in your own system at that point too. Well, there is an absorption factor. There is an absorption yeah. factor with that. Unless but there are devices that you could use also that do the sucking, but they say that those I've heard very are very ineffective. So I've read that you're not supposed. That's one of the things you are not supposed to do with a snake bite is put a tourniquet on it. Yeah. Well, what the reason why you're not supposed to put a tourniquet on and the thought behind it. Uh, is when the tourniquet's released, no matter when it's released, the uh, toxin will go and enter into this, the body at a, at a much more potent level. But um, also the area that you're containing it uh, becomes more, I guess, affected by that venom too, stronger, faster. Then you would see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's another reasoning why you don't do it. You're on a beach in a bathing suit. You only have so many tools, you know what I mean? So in a, in a perfect world, you have a jump bag and an oxygen tank and an AED and a stretcher and all those yeah. wonderful tools. If you're all, if it, what if it's a nude beach? I mean, come well, on. I didn't say it's a nude beach, but we're at a resort. So they're going to have some sort of a medical something that could be there within, you know, probably quicker I think, than a I New think York venomous paramedic. jellyfish is, is, starting to get outside the boundary of an average common folk walking along the beach to take care of that. No, I I don't, I don't. But in the same, in the same token, because that's very common. And if you're a scuba diver, if you're a scuba diver, you know, there are certain skills that you're, you're going to want to, to, to learn as well. Uh, And if you're, you know, CPR being probably the a number one, um, just like anything else, but the signs of, somebody being stung or you know by because there's some pretty highly toxic creatures in the ocean sure if you're if you're landlocked and he falls onto it because he got bit in the foot from a jellyfish 
again, scene safety, make sure to scene safe for them uh, as well as yourself. Uh, never enter, enter, enter into anything that's dangerous uh, or potentially dangerous to you. Position of comfort for the person if there's no suspected uh, spinal injury or head trauma. And supportive care until uh, first responders get there. That covers 99.9% of anything you'll see. If you have grandma on the subway platform and she trips over her shoe on a crack in the sidewalk, it's the exact same scenario that you just laid out with the jellyfish. Yeah. It's scene safety. Make sure that she's going to continue to be safe and you're safe by approaching. Position of comfort unless you suspect head or spinal injury. If you suspect head or spinal injury, it's best not to move them unless you're trained medically to do so. And you activate that 911 system as soon as possible, which gives you that full circle of life that, w that yeah. you'd want to keep subscribing to when you hit emergencies. All right, last scenario. And this is going to be, you know, it's another phone. I like to, this is supposed to be fun, okay? Be serious, but we're having fun with this too. So based on your background there, it looks like you're into the gladiatorial uh, or, or Spartan uh, era. Oh, you like my helmet? Yeah. yeah. So you're you're a you're a, a medical attendant at a, a gladiator arena, okay? <laughs> and uh, Marcus Virilius is is battling Goliath, and there's a lion in there also. Uh, <laughs> and and Goliath gets his arm chopped off, and uh, Marcus by the lion by the no by the other combatant Marcus Virilius. Marcus Virilis cuts off Goliath's arm. Okay, so he's lost right. his arm. Marcus Virilis gets attacked by the the lion. He gets mauled by the lion. All right. Um, the Caesar calls a halt, and he calls you out to the to battlefield to to patch up his warriors so they can continue to battle. What do you What are you doing? Did he put the lion away? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I was going to see if that's scene safety. Yeah. And let's break it down. We'll break exactly what you said. No matter what, no matter what scenario, whichever way I was, we go, I was going to see how you handle that. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. Is the line? So there's your first question. Yes or no? If he's not been handled, I'm not going out there. <laughs> That's it. So, so you the, can't put become away. a victim yourself. He's put away. He's put away. One of one of my slides in my class says you can't help somebody if you're dead. Marcus Virilius yeah. killed the line. The line's dead. All right. Line's so we got lines dead. Is anybody profusely bleeding? I'm going to yeah, say so that Goliath got his off. arm cut off. He's still walking around. You know, he's still wanting to fight. He's, he's, his arm is cut off. And Marcus Virilius is laying there with the line on top of him with a sword in it. But he's okay. still alive. If the bleed, if the site of the per of the arm injury is, if the arm is still bleeding where the arm was ripped off, then we need to work on that before we go to somebody that's laying down on the ground unless they're bleeding more than the, than the arm injury. The extremity injury is a quick fix. I can stop and seal that very quickly uh, with makeshift or commercial equipment. So I put a tourniquet on it high and tight. He's good. Sit him down in a position of comfort. Then I would go on to see what other secondary tertiary or primary injuries are on our second aided or victim. Very good. Tom, you want to tackle any of that? No. <laughs> no, but when you when you ask the guy how he's feeling, he won't go like this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Live to fight another day. His other arm. 
<laughs> All right. I was just yeah. trying to have fun with those. All right, let's go to Lister questions, and then we'll wrap this up. Sure. And I think we probably – and you can go to Instagram and Facebook, um, John and Tom, and look at our questions there. So I'm going to go to Instagram first. And just going to go down here and read until we find an interesting one here. Mustang Perry, what are the best medical turn items to keep in an everyday go bag? And we kind of talked about that a little bit. Do you want to expound on that, any guys? Turn it light, tourniquet and uh, a hemostatic agent are the two that I would recommend and a good pressure bandage. Okay. If you're going to add some other things, I mean, let's say you got a, uh, I don't have a bag handy, but let's say you got, I'm going to be honest with you. I have what's called in an, a, what I call my urban carry bag. It's, you know, your typical backpack. So I mm -hmm. do keep, I keep two aspirin. I keep two Tylenol. I keep two, you know, those comfort yep. things. That's what I keep we want to band-aids. You know why I don't carry 10 band-aids? Cause I can always get more. Uh, and then suddenly if you're carrying so much stuff, it becomes overwhelming. But the bare minimum is going to be a tourniquet and a hemostatic agent. And like uh, Sean said, some sort of compression bandage because a compression bandage has multi-purposes. You can make a sling, an ace bandage. There's a lot of different things you can do with one particular item. And I love that. I love having uh, multi-purposes uh, for an item so that I'm carrying three things, but it's only one item. Okay. But bare minimum, tourniquet. Long Along the same uh, uh, question here is that are there any first aid kits off the shelf you would recommend and keep in a car or a hiking pack? And I think what Sean hit on earlier is don't go to Amazon and buy your stuff. <clears throat> go to a reputable company like Medicine in Bad Places. Um, uh, I know that Student of the Gun has some good um, IFAC kits that you can buy from them. Um, there's tons of other company are you selling anything or do anything like that with tom are you associated with any supply company or anything like that medical company? uh no same one as, as he does um okay. uh american rescue um but i will say i like building kits and here's why because if i use something i have more of it and a lot of times these these pre-made kits that do have band-aids in there they're the cheapest band-aids that ever they don't even stick so I buy a whole box of them and I put together my own kit. And I think the kit, like Sean brought up, has to reflect what your skills are. If you're only good at Band-Aid placement and that's the only thing you're truly understand and trained with, then the only thing that should be really in your kit is Band-Aids. If you do Stop the Bleed, then there should be Stop the Bleed. I think your kit is going to reflect your skill set. Right. I mean, company-wise... Uh, when, when you look at companies and, and I, there is something to be said about this too, uh, something that I've seen, we sell one variation where like North American rescue, uh, which Tom is familiar with North American rescue is a very big medical company, TAC med solutions, rescue essentials, another big, uh, medical company. They sell maybe a hundred different styles of kits that you can get where there is different uh, componentry per kit. The good part about that is exactly what we've been talking about this evening, right? Uh, your skill set de determines what you're going to be able to do with that kit. Just because the kit costs $200 doesn't mean that it was worth $200 if you don't know what to do with half the stuff in it. 
um, the companies that I just made mention of, those companies are going to give you a list of everything that's in the kit. And that gives you an opportunity to make the uh, determination of, hey, is this best for me? We try to simplify that even more, not give you so many choices. We wrap it in uh, plastic so you can actually rip the plastic apart and put the kits together yourself, like Tom had mentioned. Or you can keep it in that kit to make sure that it's uh, it keeps it safe from the elements and it keeps it all in one place. Um, but it also gives you one of pretty much everything to cover any type of traumatic emergency that you're going to come into play with. Um, some of it, like the hemostatic agent, may not be for everybody. The one that we showed you here is for law enforcement. And this has uh, this is made for, for first responders. The one in the kit, if you're not in law enforcement, it would look like this. So this is a prime example of the differences. So when you're looking online and you see that this has quick clot on it and you make sure that it's the gauze roll, it's the same thing. It's just packaged differently. Okay. Yeah. And there's, and the, and what it comes down to is price points because this has a little bit less product in it. Okay. It's not as long or as the other product from end to end. It's a little bit different package. That's all. So there are differences. And again, if somebody were to wanted to make a kit, um, they can go to any of the companies that I recommended. Uh, those companies have a variety of different kits and styles, and they'll guide you through like you can compare the kits. If you're looking for one basic kit to do everything, take a look at the one that we have because it covers all of those bases and it gives you a good opportunity to uh, buy something complete and it breaks down. And, and of course, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is we answer questions. You don't have to buy anything from us. Um, if you have a question, you can reach out to us at any time you hit the website and either myself, my secretary or somebody else that has the medical training and background will answer your question. Um, what's so, your uh, email address? So the email address for the company, uh, is well-placed medicine at gmail.com. And if they remember our name, Medicine in Bad Places, uh, they can go to the website and there's a hyperlink on the website where it says contact us and it'll go right to that email. Okay. Very good. Um, Jack, Jerry, Jerry Black says, I've taken the TCCC class. What other classes should I take to be prepared for a crisis type event? And what is the TCCC, the triple C stand for? That's uh, tactical casualty combat care. And, and it is definitely geared more towards, it has more of a, what's the word I'm looking for, Sean? More of an aspect of battle. Yeah. So the way I, th this is the way I break it down for people. And we get this question in corporate. When we do a lot of corporate stuff, we have a lot of law enforcement that are retired, a lot of military guys that are retired. And the first thing they say is, how does your class deal with um, uh, TC3 component uh, topics? TC3, Tactical Combat Casualty Care, and TECC, Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. Uh, it's the same animal. It's just uh, skinned a little differently. Um, the best way to explain it is one's a civilian version and one's a military-driven version where you're going to see guys in fatigues as opposed to 
somebody stepping off of the back of an ambulance. The material is exactly the same. And one of the biggest things, and I told you before, I'm very direct and straightforward about this. One of the biggest problems that I have right now within the industry is guys take uh, one of those topics and they run with it. And they don't quite explain it to the students that are buying and spending a lot of money for these classes. On average, these classes range anywhere between 300 to, I've seen them go as much as $1,200 a class. The material is the same. And when guys say that people are willing to pay and they, they'll just keep marking it up, I kind of like to separate myself from them because uh, if you dig a little deeper, I would definitely dig into who your instructors are. Find out their backgrounds. Like, you know, in the beginning of what we talked, you know, Tom gave his background. I gave my background. Um, dig and find out who's instructing the class uh, because that'll tell you a lot about what you're going to get out of that class and if it's going to be worth it. Um, and, and really, that's really the most important part of it. So if he took a TE, uh, TC3 class, He's good for four years on a national cert if he if he got a national cert out of it. And I wouldn't I would tell him that's the pinnacle. That's the that's the top of the food chain for so there's nothing he can take to to enhance or no. Uh, like a, but just like me going I, and I'm an I'm a TC3 instructor, TECC instructor on a national level. Here's the thing. I still go to classes or I used to, uh, I, I have a little bit of a following, so I, I'm picked out a little bit faster, um, but I send people to classes. And the reason I do that is because I like to see what's being taught out there. And, and that, if there's something in one of their classes that can correlate to what I'm doing to make my class better, then I'm gonna use it. Sure. And I can also say the same thing. There's no such thing as bad training because uh, you can learn what not to do equally in the same class that's trying to teach you supposedly what to do. Going back to uh, the commander, right? The uh, the guy that's defensive tactics that we were talking about. Hmm. Um, you know, um, all serious being all you know being as serious as possible here with it. You get sometimes you don't get what you pay for. You have to remember that. So always do the background and, and ask questions. We've had students ask, who's the instructor going to be for, for your class? And if you take a look at our, on our website, I don't have too many bios. We, we kind of keep ourselves very private. Even our client list is private because I don't want you to come to my class because I train with so-and-so. Yeah. I want you to come to the class because you understand what we're about and what we can bring to you. And and that has done very well for the last 16 and a half years for us. And that's really why I started the company, because I was going to classes and spending a lot of money for classes. And the instructors really, in my professional opinion, shouldn't be instructing at that level. Sure. All right. Tom, you got anything to add? No? All right. Let's go to the next question. This is from... Where'd it go? Lewis Delgado 49. And we answered this. What are the essential items that need to be in an IFAC? That's like everybody's question on here. But he goes on to say, are Israeli bandages actually worth it or are they just a gimmick? Are you to me, they're just, I, I actually don't like the system that the Israeli bandages use. I actually am an H bandage person myself. 
Um, but I think any compression bandage used properly, um, I, I, you know, compression bandages is a compression bandage. Yeah. As I'm long taking as it's it, they're more. I'm taking it, it that these are more expensive or something. Because these are they um, worth it or are they just a gimmick? So my take on it: an Israeli bandage depending on there's two styles. There's one with a what's called a banana clip, and then there's one with a wrap clip. Banana clip just looks like a banana. It's a piece of plastic. And most people don't know how to utilize that clip properly to make a full pressure bandage. That's a problem. So training-wise, if you're taught to use the Israeli bandage properly, then it's a, it's a great tool. There's your banana clip for the Israeli bandage. Some of them have them. Some of them don't. Price point differences, $4 without, $8 with that clip. There's a better bandage on the market, um, in, in my professional opinion. And if you look at it, TACMED Solutions makes what's called an Elias bandage. This one's out of the vacuum seal packaging already. But the Elias bandage at the same price point, they come in four, six, and eight, is the same, looks the same. It's impregnated with Velcro, so it holds pressure. There you go. It's got an ocular cap to catch an eyeball if an eyeball fell out or a pressure point. Inside, it has wound packing gauze to utilize, and it has a chest seal. Plus, the packaging is a chest seal. Same, almost same price points, but this is a better pressure bandage than an Israeli bandage because it does more for the money. So this is one example of why I would say um, take a look at what's out there. Make sure that if you're going to buy something, uh, compare it in the market. TACMED Solutions sells these. They're the person... Uh, their company invented it. It's actually got a very unique story. Uh, if anybody wanted to do the research on it, but um, pretty much it was it was invented off of somebody's injuries. Uh, long story short of it, and um, still to this day, this bandage is worth its weight in gold. If God forbid you find somebody that's in some type of shock. Yeah. So this mm -hmm. this bandage, the Elias bandage, uh, it's O L A E S O. L A E S. Yeah. Tom, you're um, muted. You have to unmute yourself. Oh, I muted you because all you were making some background noise. Oh. You get your stuff. There you go. There you go. There. Now so I, I just like the ability to carry one thing, and it does multiple things, especially when sure. you don't have a gigantic truck to load everything into. And yeah, sure. Right. And one more time, what's the name of that bandage? Uh, Elias bandage. Elias. It's O L A E S. And uh, TAC Med Solutions. It sounds like that, a great uh, piece of kit to add for you people who are, it, are wanting if, to know what to add to your kit. That's That sounds like a great piece right there. Yeah, that that piece is, <clears throat> is unbelievable. And price points on them, uh, they sell anywhere between $5.90 to $9, depending on the size. Do you sell them on your website? Uh, we don't have them on our website, but we do sell them. Um, okay. And the reason we don't have them on the website right now is we're we're under a little reconstruction phase. I got you. But if anybody mm -hmm. if anybody's interested in buying them, we do have them. Use that use there. that leadhead discount code. There you go. And you can use the bam. Bam! I just saved you twenty percent. Twenty percent. All right. I'm gonna leave it open for you guys and leave it. Yeah, that that's I the want. best thing to do with a discount code is just leave it. Don't ever let it expire because years from now people will be listening to this. Hopefully. Yep. Uh, you know, cause it's out there forever. So, um, you'll get the, you know, the benefit of people coming to your website. So just, I always tell people 
unless there's some sort of something wrong with your system, just leave it there forever. Yep. All right. Uh, next question. The Joker six nine eight one. This is more of a a statement. He said, "This is definitely a course everyone should take. CLS courses were definitely a big thing in my unit, and I'm glad it was. Not only have I had to use those skills I learned during my three deployments, but even in garrison, I was one of the first responders to the Fort Hood shooting." and helped provide first aid to SSG uh, Lunsford, who had been shot, I believe, eight or nine times uh, once in the head. He survived, and I honestly don't think he would have if it wasn't for this type of training for myself and for the other individuals that were with me. So the Joker, 6981, uh, is one of my heroes for the Talking Lead, um, Lead Head Brigade heroes. So... Uh, that's First awesome. and foremost, I'll say thank you for your service and, and thank you for the comment. Uh, for those of uh, most people that don't know what CLS is, Combat Lifesaver, uh, that's a military class. And, and again, Combat Lifesaver class, uh, interestingly enough, is, is built off of the concepts of TC3, Tactical Combat Casualty Care. So again, there's a lot of different classes that are out there. A lot of acronym classes. A lot of people try to put their own spin on things to make it a little bit better. The one thing remains the same. The principles of trauma care pre-hospitally, uh, before they get to that emergency room, are going to remain the same for the foreseeable future. Because until we have blood product and until we have other things that we can do outside of the hospital, there's only we're limited in what we can do as a, as a community, uh, as a first responder. And again, as a as a witness, bearing witness like he was at uh, describing the Fort Hood shooting where he was at. He bared he bore witness to that. And that actually uh, turned into him making the difference between somebody living and dying by just stretching out that little bit of time they had to be able to complete a task. Um, there is something to be said about that. And again, that's the good, that's the good feeling on the back end of yeah, the, like you were the talking about earlier. Side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, pillow pants. Um, and I think he's talking about when you're, you, you know, you're, you're all kitted up with your plate carrier and everything like that. He says, what are the key spots to place a med kit on your person? Do you recommend carrying a fanny pack for your med kit? I've seen this recommended in the past due to it sitting below the chest rig plate carrier and above the utility belt. What are your thoughts on this placement, other placements? So, on my kit, I have redundancy. So I have a tourniquet on my actual weapon holster. I have another kit on the small of my back, but I don't deal with vehicles a lot. And then I actually have something on my kit. So I have a lot of redundancy. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, I, I have the same, I do have multiple kits in multiple places, but also my background, I was the team medic for, for a team within emergency service. So my, one of my goals was to be the medic. If there was a time for a medic that was needed. Um, if you're somebody that's wearing a kit, whether it's for shooting sport or, or your line of work, you're in the military, you're in law enforcement, you're wearing a kit. It has to be able to be reached ambidextrous, meaning no matter where you are. Usually when guys tell me where they love carrying a kit, the first thing I do is I have them suit up, put their kit where they want it, lay them down on the ground, and then what I ask them to do is get to that kit. And I'm going to call out an injury. It's either going to be an arm or a leg, 
I'm going to call out an injury for them, and I'm going to time them to see how long it takes them to get their kid out. What we normally see and typical in this evolution of training and when we start training is very simple. The person that thought that they could do everything, uh, ambidextrous, finds out that they cannot. Or they pack so much stuff into the kit that they can never get it out in a timely fashion. Um, those are the two key points that we like to hone in on very early on. If you ask me where your kit should be if you're only going to carry one kit, Fanny pack works. It's okay. What happens if the strap breaks on the kid? Now you got to hold that. You got to do something with it. So you know it's going to be packed to the gills with shit. Um, so I would probably stay away from it. I'd mount it on my kit the same way where my ammo sources are. Dare I say it, and I, I'm sure you'll get a little bit of this, a little bit of flack back on this, but here's the thing. Um, it has to be ambidextrous coming from both sides. Your kit needs to be uh, big enough to where it's going to work on you because it's really for you. A lot of people don't realize that that kit is for you when you get crashed up, right? And, and everybody carries their own individual first aid kit. But if you are going to use it as a kit for somebody else, you need to be able to readily get to it. I find that keeping it centralized in front or behind my magazine uh, uh, storage on my, on my uh, play carrier setup uh, affords me the optimal way to carry it. If it's behind my ammo sources, I need to be able to have a pull that's not going to get in the way of me getting to my magazines. But I also have to have a pull that I can get out relatively easy, whichever hand. Because it, Murphy's Law usually states what? If I'm right-handed, my right hand's going to be the one that's going to be down. So I need to be able to get it out with my left. And I need to be able to pull it, whether it's here or, or pulling it out from below. If you put it in front, you need to also do, make sure that the same things happen when you have the magazine sources uh, in your front. If you're stacking, you have to be a little bit more uh, knowledgeable with your the girth that you're creating on yourself, too. Because when you're moving through structures, especially, especially if you're doing in law enforcement and in a tactical community, you won't want to be mindful of that because you're going to find yourself in smaller spots. And, and, and these are the... Um, dangers of which you're putting yourself into and in your profession. Uh, so there's a, it's not a yes or no, I go with a fanny pack or this or that. Uh, I would say stay away from mounting it on your back because uh, to this day, there are some very high-end units uh, without mentioning any names I disagree with and I've had many topics with them, uh, conversations with them, where they mount their first aid kits still on their back. Um, and to me, it's just not, it's not viable. It, it really isn't for, for today's technology and for what we can do and shrinking things down and these compression machines and stuff. It's not really a good, uh, good, um, Location. choice. Yeah. Good. Not a good placement spot. Very good. Yeah. Uh, I think that those are the, the main questions there that we wanted to hit. A lot of them, like I said, are redundant, but thank you to everyone who, uh, sent your questions in. Mustang, Perry, P-Man, Sack Archer, uh, Katie, Katie Healy, uh, good old Katie. Uh, I think we answered your question there, Haiti, Katie. So uh, Jerry Black, Jesse Bedal, high and tight or two inches. Uh, well, I think we answered that one. High and tight is what you guys uh, both said. Louis Delgado, uh, thank you for your question. The Joker, that was a great um, point that you made, great comment. And, again, thank you. For your service, you are a Leadhead Brigade hero. And the Shaky Taster, 
Um, how can a squeamish soy boy prepare himself mentally for first aid situation? Asking for a friend. Practice, 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 right? Take the courses. Yeah, I mean, uh, the course speaks, the courses speak for themselves. I always like to do uh, static drills with students when they're starting to think about trauma. You, you want to know what it feels like to, to actually pack a wound. Wound packing is one of the skills that you're taught. I tell people, well, maybe not in today's economy with the prices of inflation, but buy a pot roast. Take a pot roast and stab it with your knife and then pack that stab that you put in there because when the muscle so separates and, and it, it, it's moving, it's, 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 it's a piece of um, muscle that's actually tearing as you're packing the wound that you just made, your mind is going to be exposed to that as well as the tactile stimulation that you're going to get from your fingers. Yeah. So that is a learning curve right there. Um, some people ask how uh, we used to do rescues underneath trains and, and what it felt like to pick up a, a piece of a body that was Severed. detached. Yeah. Buy a pound of chopped meat and throw it in your driveway. Try to pick that up with your hand. It, and, and think of it along the lines of you're not picking up a pound of chopped meat, you're picking up a piece of a human being. The realization that you're never going to get all of those pieces is there. The realization of what you're up against becomes very real in your mind and god forbid you ever had to play that out in a real world setting these are things that have already inoculated your brain to, you've been exposed to it already and yeah, i think desensitizing is the key just just you know look at videos if you're squeamish you're gonna it's it's tough that's a that's a brain wired thing if you're actually squeamish desensitize yourself yeah. just just look at things that are and there not are so great courses to where people put on these these courses that simulate real injuries like a, a leg that's been torn off or ripped off and but it's not real but they've simulated it and they use real people moulage is that what it's called moulage yeah, yeah i couldn't remember yeah. the name of it yeah so or cirque du soleil i always forget <laughs> i get those confused it's either cirque du soleil or moulage or moulin rouge maybe perhaps <laughs> Or what's the line tamer guys? Uh, they get mauled by lines all the time. Sig Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Go to one of their shows. I, you know what? I got to bring this up. You you said uh, the tiger mauled that guy. Do you know that in the the guy in Australia got mauled by a shark? That didn't make sense to me. You don't get mauled by a shark. Like the shark wasn't like. Did you see this article? You were uh -uh. swimming in Australia I and he got saw, I saw left of them. It wasn't really a good thing. I just think it's funny that they use the words he got mauled by a shark. I don't I, think I it applies like to that. a shark. I don't think that really applies. Yeah, like dogs. All right. No. Uh, that does it for our questions. Uh, we're going to pick a winner for the SEAL 1. We're going to give away a SEAL 1 complete care kit here. Ooh. Um, to one of our lucky listeners there. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm, uh, I'm going to – Award this to Joker for being our our leadhead leadhead brigade hero. So Joker, talkingleadgmail.com, shoot me an email, and uh, I'll make sure that Dwight gets your contact info and sends you one of these complete uh, gun care kits there. So um, do do you want to give anything away from um, medical me medical? Medicine in bad places. One hundred percent. So, um, okay. What we'll do is uh, we have a couple of uh, those IFAC kits. 
Yeah. You can give him one of those as well. Uh, when you get the information, just send it over. And then please pick somebody else uh, to receive a kit, or one, another one of your followers, and we'll get okay. that out to I'll let well. I'll let Tom do the honors. Tom, you on uh, Instagram? Yeah. Or not? If you're not. <laughs> not really. Yeah. Sort of. Pseudo. Well, I mean, did you have it pulled up? No. Oh, okay. I, thought, I couldn't remember what podcast this was. You know, I was on Grand Thumb <laughs> yesterday, and you know, I've been doing the circuit. You know, so I got a little. Uh, I see. I see. And, uh, hold on, I'm gonna do it. Hold on, give me a second. Ready? Here, we're not even live. So I thought the Israeli bandage question was a good one. That sparked a lot of. Yeah, do that one. Good. A lot of conversation. Luis Delgado. Sure, that was a good question. Yeah, I thought it was a really good question. Um. So, Luis Delgado, 49, you're going to win uh, one of the Mission and Mission. Dad, gummit. Mission First Tactical is one of our sponsors. Medicine in Bad Places, um, IFAC kit. So, awesome, man. Thank you yeah. for that. And for Joker also, Joker, um, both of you guys, shoot me your contact info. Tell me what you won, what episode it is, so I don't get mixed up here. And uh, I'll shoot your info over to, to get your stuff there. So great episode. I learned a lot on this uh, episode, and I think we could probably talk for another hour. We're almost three hours into this now, so we did a did another Rogan podcast. <laughs> These things happen from time to time. They do, they do. But again, uh, Sean, thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure meeting you. Hopefully, uh, we can get together at one of these events uh, sometime coming up. And do you ever get to Nashville? Do you come to? Do you travel for your courses? Is do everybody come to you? Yeah, no. So actually, uh, 90% of what we do is travel. So where they can find us is um, we usually do the trade show arena for the tactical conventions. We also do EMS trade shows. Um, SHOT Show, we're usually around. Obviously, this year was a little light, but um, we're around. Uh, we go from coast to coast. We've actually been outside the States in our 16 and a half years of training. Nice. So if anybody is listening and anybody needs anything, it's really not about money. It's about our company's ethos. The reason why we are around is because as a first responder in the fire, in EMS and in law enforcement uh, for 27 years, I'm honestly tired of going to funerals. Um, yeah. And whatever I could do now or when I started this 16 and a half years ago, um, I'm going to continue to do for today's first responders in our community. Uh, it has nothing to do with money. Uh, it has nothing to do with anything for any of my guys. Uh, we work for the satisfaction of knowing that we're going to get a story a month, a year, a couple of years down the road. And the story is usually always ends with a positive note. Hey, I saved my partner's life. I got saved by this because we were talking about that. Or I saved somebody's grandmother, grandfather, father, mother, brother, sister. And those are the reasons why we do what we do. Um, day in and day out. And I'm going to continue this project uh, in the foreseeable future for as long as I can. Well, thank you. And thank you for your service. How many years uh, on the force? Uh, 21 years in the New York City Police Department. Uh, wow. 16 of which in the emergency service unit. So, Tom, thank you for taking the time to be on and sharing your wealth of knowledge with the Leadheads. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And they can find you at, is it TK Tactical? TK Tactical. TK and then 
T A. I don't even remember. T A K. I think I did it as a play on words. T K and tactical with a K. Is it T C K? I'm gonna pull you up here. We're gonna get it right. Right. You don't even know your own Instagram name. I don't. uh, I'm not. You know what? I'm not actively doing things right now. T K. Tactical. T K T A K I T I C A L. There you go. Yes, that's it. You are correct. And you can find Tom there. And uh, yeah. So there you go, guys. Uh, make sure you support those that make this show possible. Mission First Tactical, as I mentioned earlier, got them confused with medicine in bad places. You can go to their website, use the code LEADHEAD. You're going to get 20% off there. Seal One, you go to seal1.com, LEADHEAD, 25% off. 1776 United, you're going to get the official Talking Lead logo t shirts and. Leadhead Brigade patches. See right there. I don't know if you can see that or not. My light's sucking for some reason. Um, does that does that help? Yeah. You say you need one of these. You ain't got one. I didn't get one yet. All right, I'll send you one. You want one, Sean? I'll send you one. Yes, sir. I got to show you. We just came out with our new one too. Oh, look at here. Let's see. So we'll give you a little trade up. So this is our newest one. Oh, nice. She's showing us a challenge coin right now for you listeners. Oh, hell yeah. I need to so talk to you on where you get your challenge coins done. Yes, sir. Because I'm I'm having some made for the Leadheads. I had one. We did it for the the Flioa. Kyle, can you see this one? I can't. We're frozen. I don't need to see that one. Am I frozen? Again? Did you get one? Tom's got one. Hold yours up, Tom. <laughs> Um, but I'm going to get some made for our 10-year anniversary. This is our 10th year, 10-year anniversary for the Talking Lead Podcast. Congrats. So we're going to have some uh, special limited uh, edition numbered Leadhead uh, coins made up. And it'll have the Leadhead Brigade on the back. Uh, but, yeah, let's talk off air on where you, where you got yours. Um, 100%. Factory I'll help you anyway, again. Yeah, thank you, sir. Factory 47, you can go to their website, and you're going to get our AK Corner logoed apparel we got hoodies uh this nice new mug that i've got um and you guys still can't see my screen huh no we're frozen uh, okay i think it's still recording it on for the video though uh, okay so i got i don't, I have, I don't have your coin you don't you didn't get one we'll get you one of those um but yeah you can go to factor 47 it's f-a-k-t-o-r-y kind of like uh, Tom and his his handles. He likes to use the K. Leadhead gets you ten percent off anything there. Uh, and Defiant Munitions. So if you're looking for some ammo, you need some good quality ammunition. Defiant Munitions. Pete Pie over there. It's Capital Leadhead. You get ten percent off there. Uh, and then of course go show Keltec some love. IWIUS and Century Arms. Let them know how much you appreciate them bringing back season four of the Talking Lead AK Corner. Uh, until then, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. Your firearms, firearms close. No one trains to lose. Keep up your training. That's a wrap. <laughs>